Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things related to movies, TV, music, and video games. Necessarily in that order, these are your <laughs> hits and news of the week. It's the hits. My name's Mike. His name is Matt. My name's Matt. His name is Mike. Thank you for joining us. Today is May the 21st, 2022. This is episode 332. Welcome, welcome, welcome. As he said, all sorts of things to talk about today. We're going to play the hits for you and some uh, surprising new stuff uh, because we're not just about the hits here at the Medium Boat Podcast. We talk about new. We're all about new. If it happened this week, we talk about it. Yep. Um, this is your, what was I going to say? This is your news from the last week today. Yeah. And yeah, I might get sued for that. Yeah, not to be confused <laughs> with some other show that has a similar title to that. Yes. No, uh, we're the Media Boat Podcast, and we're here to talk about media specifically. Yes. Uh, yeah, so let's get rolling. Yes, uh, we have a lot to talk about. We have a lot of thoughts. Uh, we have a lot of, we have a couple of finales in yes, TV. Yes, we do. And yeah. we are going to talk about that movie that came out yesterday. Yeah, yeah. we'll get there. We'll get there. All right, but first, <laughs> got to start with music. And we start music with the billboard, and we start the billboard with the Hot 100. Yeah. And breaking in to the number one, it's number one, because it's first, it's a first class by Jack Harlow. First class, Jack Harlow. <laughs> exactly. Inexplicable everywhere. because I don't know if you heard this song, but it sucks. So the first class, of course, references the sample that's used, which is Fergie uh, uh, Fergie's the, Fergalicious. The Fergalicious sample. Saying, first class. Yeah, it's yes. the, 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 the Jack Harlow is the most boring rapper on the planet. Like seriously, like it's so boring. There's no personality to this guy. My take. Any other takes? <laughs> no, that, that's all I got. Johnny Carlos. Oh, God. I don't know. People are listening to that album. I guess so, unfortunately. Right. At number two, as it was, uh, by Harry Styles. Yeah. We'll go into more into Harry Styles in a bit here. We will. At three, Waiting for You by Future. But really, it's Drake. Or maybe it's Terrace. Aunt Terrace. Or Thames. Maybe it's Thames. I added several letters. Uh, uh, I added several letters today. <laughs> I've been looking at a lot of RI words. Okay. And RN words. As you so, do. As you do during work. <laughs> um, F4, a delicious Moscow Mule by Bad Bunny. And can we get number five? TT me, me Pregunto by Bad Bunny. Now, my Spanish isn't great, but it's something about a problem, right? Or no, a question. It's my question. Yeah, okay. Yes, it's a uncle, my question. Got it. Um, as for your Billboard 200, your albums chart. Speaking of Bad Bunny, at number one, Un Verano Sin Ti by Bad Bunny. I don't know what that means either. Summer. Verano is summer. Oh. It's a summer. Summer. A summer, uh, summer without you. Ah, uh, oh, That's sad. Uh, at two, <laughs> I Never Liked You. It's okay. <laughs> I never liked you either. <laughs> by Future. <laughs> at three, Come Home, The Kids Miss You. Yes. By Jack Harlow. The name of that record. I don't. I'm done. I'm done well, he can't come home because he's flying first class. Kind <laughs> of. Uh, then at four, Dangerous, the double album by Morgan Wallen. Thank you for enabling him, Billboard Music Awards. Uh, which we do not have on here. No, we're not talking about them. All right, and we've <laughs> got your top five: Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. Hey, at least there's something redeeming here. <laughs> if you didn't like any of those albums. We have new releases. We sure do. So, coming up next week yes. is 
Vaxis 2, A Window of the Waking Mind by Coheed and Cambria. Sounds like a Coheed and Cambria record. Yeah. Name I haven't heard in about 10 years there. Right? Yeah. No, they're still around. They're still kicking. Yeah. Oh, we see them pop up every now and then. The people who love that band really love that band. It's like one of those, like, this is my entire personality bands. It's the, I listened to them in high school, and yeah. this is everything that I need to know. They never stopped. I never stopped band. I just don't, I just don't get it. Uh, we also have Diamond Star Halos by Def Leppard. Yes. That, that Def, Def Leppard. Still putting out an album. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know where. Okay. <laughs> sure. Um, we, there's also Blue Skies by The Head. Yeah, there's an H in there. Yeah, that's why I pronounced The Head. The Head. Or The <laughs> in high definition. And it is. Uh, also, Come On You Know, an all caps yeah. by Liam Gallagher. <laughs> From Capleton Hill by Stars. And lastly, Cruel Country by Wilco. Yes. That Wilco. That Wilco. Yeah. Still around. Still yeah, around. something for everybody? Question mark? Uh, <laughs> yeah, when you have Cody Cambria, Def Leppard, and Wilco, there's a little bit of something for everybody. I guess so. And I'll throw a little Liam Gallagher in there. Why not? So, as for music news <laughs> we start with a commencement speech yeah and some graduation because between this week and next week everyone is graduating yes. and unlike the past two years actual in-person graduations are happening yeah meaning actual commencement addresses are happening so that means they occasionally get a guest speaker yes um such was the point when former president h George Walker Bush. Uh, we're not. We don't need to talk about this. No? We don't need to talk about Freudian slips. No Freudian slips? <laughs> it's not media. All right. So let's get to actual music. Let's talk about a better commencement speech. Yes. Because Taylor Swift. Yes, yes. That Taylor Swift. Did you know that you can eat salad, but you can't eat grass? <laughs> I love how that's been the clip that's been going around from this thing. It's so funny to me. So Taylor Swift delivered the commencement address... <laughs> For New York Universities, a.k.a. NYU, class of 2022, at a graduation ceremony, which was held on Wednesday. I don't know about you. But I'm feeling but this NYU. Is, this is No, this is the class of 2022. Oh, at yeah. NYU. At NYU. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, the pop superstar, their words, not mine, was awarded. <laughs> <laughs> come on. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, was Subjective awarded. fact. It is was awarded an honorary doctorate before giving a playful and reflective speech. Quote, Last time I was in a stadium this size, I was dancing in heels and wearing a glittery leotard. Once again, her words, not mine. (laughs) This outfit is much more comfortable. (laughs) Uh, Swift said uh, when she also received a Doctor of Fine Arts honor from Jason King, chair of the Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music, which is a part of NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. Uh, King drew an extra loud amount of applause and a goofy, triumphant facial expression from (laughs) Swift when, among the list of recordings he mentioned, as among her compliments, he mentions 
two re-recorded studio albums uh, that references to the Taylor's versions series of albums that she uh, recently created yes. after splitting from Big Machine. He also further mentioned how Swift has fearlessly challenged the exploitation <laughs> of music artists in her career. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this is typical, like you said, there's a lot of uh, guest speakers that go to these kind of things. And uh, uh, turn out with honorary doctorates. I mean, sure. I mean, yeah. Uh, no one's going to call her Dr. Swift. Like, no. Except for, like, I guess the fans. Um, and it's honorary, so it's not like, you know, there's probably going to be a lot of people who are like, she, she doesn't earn that. I don't know. Oh, uh, did you see that take on, um, yeah. on Twitter? Always. 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 I remember when it. Stephen Colbert got the, remember? Yeah. When he was, like, bragging on his show mm-hmm. about it. Like, it's the same thing every time. They give celebrities these things just for, like, you know, for fun. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the speech is on, the text of this whole speech is on the internet. If you're curious about it, you can watch the video. She's not a great public speaker. She's kind of rambly. It's very stream of consciousness. I mentioned the salad and grass yes. thing because it was the funniest part. But yeah, I don't know. She's just, she's just funny. I don't get it. I don't know why. You, just maybe don't invite Taylor Swift to speak anything. <laughs> she's not the most concise speaker. But hey. It was fun, nonetheless. It's fun. Congratulations. It's there. Congratulations, <laughs> class of 22. Yes. Being um, in commencemented by the singer of 22. Yep. There you go. I mean, you had to assume she was going to give a speech somewhere. <laughs> I guess. With yeah. a song like well, that. Well, she even made a joke. I cut that out of the article. Yes. But they made, she made a joke specifically. Like, I know I'm probably 90% here because I have a song called 22 and everybody laughs. Yes. yes. No. She knows. The low-hanging fruit there. Yeah, the lowest of the low-hanging fruit. Yep. Speaking of the lowest of the low-hanging fruit, guess who won Eurovision? <laughs> I mean, eh, you know what? I didn't watch any of this, but from what I understand, they also deserved it. So it's not just world events that kind of saw this coming. But you're not wrong that it was very easy to vote for them. Yes. Uh, so Eurovision happened yeah, Eurovision. the past week. Compared to uh, American Song Contest, which happened not end. the past month. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, and Ukraine ended up winning the 2022 Eurovision Song Contest in Italy last Saturday night. Yeah. Uh, the country was represented by hip-hop act Kalush Orchestra. Good name. With the song Stefania in uh, a tribute to lead singer Olev uh, Sulk's mother, Stefania. Which merges Ukrainian folklore with rap. The UK came in second thanks to Sam Ryder, already viral sensation, uh, and his 12.5 million TikTok fans who performed the track Spaceman. Spaceman. The event uh, was held in Turin, Italy, following the country's 2021 win by the Italian band Monoskin. Right. Uh, both Ukraine, which is currently under siege from its neighbor Russia, and the UK were hotly tipped to make an appearance in the top three. Right. So 25 countries competed in total in the contest, which was hosted by the Italian city of Turin. And next year, in 2022, Ukraine will do the same. So that's the question, right? If, if this the occupation is, is over. Because that's the thing, is that this is probably not going to be done in the I would bet that Russia is still. What do you mean? There's an easy way to end this in a day. (laughs) Is there? Enlighten me. 
enlighten you? Oh, it'll be very enlightening. Like 10,000 burning suns enlightening. <laughs> oh, God. Of how you can end it. No, no. We're not. We do not have time. Nope. We do not have time to go into this. All right. Uh, but what we can say is, yeah, we'll see next year whether or not they do host Eurovision in Ukraine. Uh, but congratulations to them. I understand that it was a um, not a great year for Eurovision, according <laughs> to some people who watched it. But nonetheless, turmoil will cause stress and pressure uh, that maybe other years don't have. So makes sense. The, the context makes sense. And it's very important for the situation. Well, they have to plan this at least like six months to three months out in advance. So come six months from now, by the end of the year, we'll know if Ukraine will actually host yeah. Eurovision 2023. Yeah, we will see. In the meantime... In the meantime, I hosted my ears to a house party. <laughs> yeah. By Harry Styles. Sure. Yeah, Harry Styles' new record is out. Harry's house. Yes. And we're all invited to Harry's house to hear him... Because um... it's a house party. No. We don't no. need no Harry. <laughs> So this time you get nothing but Harry. Yes. So a lot of Harry Styles in here. It's um it's fine, is what I'll say about Harry's house. It's okay. It's different. Um it's... I wasn't expecting it. So Harry Styles' solo career thus far has been pretty much just, hey, I like the 70s a lot. That's his whole vibe. It's how he dresses, it's his approach to songwriting, it's his approach to production. You're probably thinking, like, okay, how is this different from, like, when we talked about Silk Sonic a yep. few weeks ago? It's not too different, except this one, he refines that a little bit. Instead of going for straight 70s parody, it's more of a vibe this time. It's less of, like, I'm going to make songs that sound like they were released in 1973. It's more about, like, I'm going to create a vibe that feels like the 70s, but incorporate more modern sounds into it. And that's what, ultimately, Harry's House is. It's a compromise of sorts from the previous stuff that he's put out and more modern pop sounds. I mean, as it was, the single is a perfect example of that. You could understand that there is some influence of previous decades in it, but it's a modern pop song. Mm -hmm. And I think when this record is at its best, it is balancing those two things really well. And I think that still the best song on this record is as it was. It's the catchiest thing. It is the most straightforward pop thing on this thing. And for me, everything else paled in comparison. Everything else felt like it was all, like 75% there and needed like 25% more polish. The production just wasn't there for me. The songwriting is not great. I didn't like the lyrics. The opening song, that stupid sushi restaurant. Sushi song, restaurant. That just Music a, for a sushi restaurant. It's the sloppiest lyrics. <laughs> I'm just like, I guess I get what he's trying to do. Harry Stylist thinks. <laughs> Harry Stylist thinks. Yeah, he listens. You want your fried rice? Yeah. You want your sushi roll? I don't know. And when he was, I mean, he tried to be like, oh, this is my sexy song. And like, this is about like, oh, how much I love Olivia, Olivia Wilde, right? Olivia Wilde is who, she, who he's with right now. He is? Yeah, surprise. <laughs> yeah, that there's uh, there's this whole wow, like. okay. Uh, there's sorry, this, Jason Sudeikis. <laughs> yeah, there's a Twitter meme going around being like, you can't imagine what Jason Sudeikis is thinking while listening to this kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, no, um, he's with Olivia Wilde. So the the song on this record, Cinema, probably makes more sense to you now. Yes, yes, it does. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I like this song. It's literally just a song about the fact that he's Ooh. dating a movie star. Yes. It's literally what that song's about. Can you get the popcorn? Oh, God. What was it like? I'm going to bring pop to the cinema? Yes. It's like, it's, 
that's a line that I think he intends to be a double entendre, but it does not work. Like, what the hell does that mean, Harry? What does that mean? Oh, it's sexual. <laughs> He's gonna pop. Yeah, I guess. In the cinema? cinema? It's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> I just... Because our love is a movie, so he's gonna make it pop. It's... Pop. It's, it's not pop. strong enough of a metaphor to be funny, and it's not sexy enough to be sexy. So it just kind of... Isn't it sexy? It just kind of sits it's there. Sexy. The only image I got in my head was Harry Styles bringing a giant soda and sitting down oh, in the see, movie theater. That's your Midwest brain talking when you talk <laughs> about soda and pop. Uh, in the, Anyway. They're not like pop like popcorn and pop like you're making that pop. But that's ultimately how I feel you're about making that. Pop. Yeah. How I felt about that song though is ultimately how I felt about that whole thing. Is it just like it's almost there, but it's missing that little something something. And I just the whole time I was like, eh, this is fine. This is serviceable. This is something we put in the background of a dinner party. You mean in the back of a sushi restaurant? Yeah, yes. You could put it in the background of a Almost sushi restaurant. Almost as if he was telling you exactly what this album's going to be from the first track. Exactly. Just like and you didn't want to listen to him? Just like radio, Radiohead's exit music for a film. Yes. Yes. This is the tension there. I don't know. I think it's fine. I, Harry Styles, I get why people like Harry Styles. He's the perfect middle ground between an artist that your mom can like and your than a teenage girl can like. I get it. For like, I get it. he fills that little like gap. If you get if he, so, if he's going for, he's going for, and he hits that mark. It's just it's just not for you. Dare I say though, I think he's getting a little too mom musicy for me. I think he's going that direction with his music. Did you want more future sex love sounds? Maybe something a little spicier. Yeah, I want something interesting there. Besides, like the one song where he mentions it's cocaine once, like. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I want some edge out of Harry Styles, and he's not giving me edge here. He's just getting me, giving me boring. He's vanilla. I don't know. Anyway, that's how I feel about Harry Styles. He's probably not going to invite me back. It's okay. You come to my house because I actually like this album. Wow. All right. Yeah, I liked that vibe. I liked that it was different. I like that out of all the pop stuff that's been out there recently. He's found his own unique voice out there. I guess so. Sure, but I mean, you don't have to like it for it to be unique. But it's definitely like. <laughs> out there it's very distinguished very separates himself from the other pop stuff the other like you said mom pop um not mom and pop but mom pop <laughs> mom mom music that's out there it's certainly different but it, that's like what i was saying is i don't think that's a strength i think it's a strength because it's saying hey when you hear it on the radio that is definitely a harry Styles song oh yeah and that's something that you need it's brand recognition that's what, this, that's what this album is. Yeah, I guess. I guess, but yeah, I just don't. And smooth, easy listening. It's very, I mean, that, that it does, you're right. It does blend very well, that genre distinct from, like, the mom and the daughter. Something that they both listen yeah. to and both take away either completely two different views, but still enjoy the exact same song. That's what he's going for here. I guess so. It's a good song. It's a house song. It's a house party song. <laughs> Well, I liked it. I will not be a tick party. That's <laughs> okay. That's okay. I'll get Olivia Wilde to attend this party. <laughs> <laughs> She's busy. Anyway. Anyways. Um, yeah, it's a good pop album. It's all right. <laughs> anyway. It's not the best. It ain't no sour. No. But it's a good, it's a a good album. Are. A few things are. A few things are very much like a golden hour sour where we're just going to like gush over it. Exactly. Wow. All right, so let's move on to video games. Yes. And we start uh, with new releases. We do. 
So first up, hard space colon ship breaker on the PC. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of that's a full release coming out of early access. It's been in early access for a couple of years. Okay. Uh, we also have Nino Kuni cross colon cross world. I saw the subtitle. When I saw the subtitle of this one, I was hoping that this was a crossword game featuring the character Shinino Kuni, but I don't think it is. No. <laughs> oh, see, I thought it was going to be like the um, dual, like uh, part one and part two for Dino Kuni. Oh, uh, maybe. I don't know if they've been on Coming PC, to PC. before. So that, awesome. That's why I was thinking. It's PC. possible. Uh, we also have Sniper Elite 5. Yeah, for everything. For everything Except but for the Switch. So if you like uh, shooting dudes in the balls, here's the game about shooting dudes in the balls. Yep. Back. Uh, there's also Cow, the kangaroo. K-O, I want to say is how you pronounce it. Cow. That's out for everything. That's your wide release. So that, that is your uh, Crash Banjo-Kazooie yeah. type game. So it's a reboot is what I found out about mm-hmm. this. I thought this was a remake of the PS2 era K.O. the kangaroo mm-hmm. game. Apparently I'm wrong. This is a full, like, they're trying this again mm-hmm. thing. And I'm like, who remembers K.O. the kangaroo? It's Cow. Like, I'm out here linking into stories from the late 90s about EA and Square. Yes. And I don't remember KO the Kangaroo, so... It, it's right below Gex. Yeah, but absolutely. <laughs> that's a po- that's a sub-Gex brand. That's lower than Bubsy. Like... It's lower than Croc. Yeah, lower than Croc. <laughs> and Croc got three sequels. Good pull, yeah. <laughs> There was a third croc? Yeah, there was. Oh, man. I, I think it was a DS game. I don't even remember it was, like, <laughs> it was a handheld game. Wow. I, I thought they only made two of those. Yeah, there was a handheld game there. There you go, um, And then, um, <laughs> for all you very old school fans who probably recognize those references that we made, <laughs> Pac-Man Museum for yes. PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Yeah, like Pac-Man. Yep. There's a bunch of Pac-Man. Yep. There's a bunch of uh, Pac-Man references um, from Namco Bandai who were at the Angel game yesterday. I bet. Yeah. Um, side tangent. My dad asked me, do you know what Namco Bandai is? Yes. <laughs> You're like, or, yes. or Bandai Namco, sorry. He asked me, no. do I know what that is? I was like, yes. yeah. You know? I was like, they, they have the Pac-Man logo right there next to it. Yeah. Like, they're, they're the people who make Pac-Man. And then I have to be like, well, no, not technically. It's a merger. And like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we do not have time to, to get into There's that. a baseball game happening. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway. Anyways. Um, let's get into some video game news. And we start with one of the biggest news stories of the week. At least big for us because yeah. we're PlayStation Plus subscribers, fans, finding PS5s. Yes, no, can be difficult. But if you need to get your hands on it, you can subscribe to PlayStation Plus, which Sony has confirmed a partial list yeah. of games that will be made available as part of its revamped version of the subscription service. You're not going to go through all of them as well. No. Uh, but the service is planned to launch in Asia next week with it coming to the UK and uh, US markets in June. June. Next one. Yep, uh, next one. So right now, PS Plus is... is what it is. PS Plus's new extra and premium tiers will include a library of PS4 and PS5 games that will include Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Demon's Souls, Ghost of Tsushima, Director's Cut, NBA 2K22, and more. Uh, in addition, 
the platform holder confirmed some of the PS1 and PSP games coming to its premium tier service with first-party titles like Ape Escape, Hot Shots Golf, and Siphon Filter, and third-party games including Mr. Driller and Tekken 2. Sony notes that the list of games released on Monday contains a selection of games planned for the service. Uh, it previously said the PS Plus Premium tier would include a library of over 700 games. Um, of those, 400 would be downloadable for PS4 and PS5 titles. But the big news, and additionally, Ubisoft had confirmed that its Ubisoft Plus subscription service is in fact coming to PlayStation mm. with a Ubisoft Plus Classics range uh, coming to PlayStation Plus. Ubisoft previously announced that the service would be coming to Xbox with the Classics range along with Game Pass. So this is PlayStation finally getting into that Game Pass genre aside from PlayStation Now. So... There's a lot of stuff to uh, kind of dig into here uh, because you have a lot of people that are either like, all right, or very upset about the games they've announced for this thing so far. It seems wild, regardless of what you think about the selections they have here. It seems wild to me that they're not telling us more because this thing is launching very, very soon. Launching literally in days mm -hmm. in Japan. And yet this is all we know about the games coming out for this service. If you say there are 700 games... And you've we only listed about a hundred of them. Like, are we going to wait until day one to find, like, the day that it comes out to find out what these are? It seems like they're doing an awful job of hyping people up for the service, and the ones they did show are not going to make anyone excited. You don't do Tekken two instead of Tekken three. Mm -hmm. You don't have zero Final Fantasy games. You don't have to go in with this thing like having zero things that make the PlayStation memorable. No Gran Turismo, no Crash Bandicoot, mm -hmm. no Spyro. No Grand Theft Auto, no Metal Gear Solid. All of these franchises that are associated, no Ridge Racer. There are so no many. No Twisted Metal. Yeah, there are so many easy slam dunks here that they're leaving out. And it's not like they don't have access to them. They've either been previously re released for like PS3 backwards compatibility, or they've been on the recently, well, not recently, but like within the last five years release of the PlayStation Classic. Remember the thing? Mm -hmm. Those, that are all the bangers in it. Why are they not... Why do they feel like they need to do a slow reveal? Is it because they want to trickle them out on a monthly basis and make a big deal every month? Is that why they're holding back on the games that people actually care about? Because I'm going to tell you right now, there are the three people who care about Mr. Driller. Like, <laughs> no one's excited about another re-release of Siphon Filter. Like, there are four different Hot Shots Golf games on this list. Three for the PlayStation 3 and one for the PlayStation 1. This is not going to make people super excited to sign up for the highest tier here, the premium tier, if there's no hook. And the PlayStation, and I thought for a hot second that the Ubisoft Plus stuff was the big headline here. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, oh cool, this will give me an excuse to try out Assassin's Creed Valhalla. This will give me like an excuse to try out a bunch of Ubisoft games I haven't tried before. But, when, but, but by the time I got to the end of the article, I was like, oh, wait, they already said this was happening on Xbox, like, months ago? Mm -hmm. And starting next week, we're already going to see um, Ubisoft classic stuff added to Game Pass? Then I'm like, well, even that's not that exciting. This service that I already have, 
that's a better deal is not is already providing me with the thing that I thought for a second was unique to PlayStation Plus. There's nothing unique here. They need the hook, and they need it fast if they want people to upgrade. That is one thing that I thought that was going to come to be included in the premium tier is that you'll get access to, like Ubisoft Plus and yeah. like um, Origins, uh, EA's Origins platform. EA is silent out. about whether, exactly. whether they're partnering with Sony at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sony hasn't said anything about any third party making, like besides Ubisoft, making a connection like that, whereas Game Pass, yeah, you're right. They have Ubisoft and EA. Even PlayStation Studios, like, there's only about four games coming out. So that's actually, I think, the best news here is the stuff that you get in the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 selections. Mm -hmm. Yes, a lot of them are, unfortunately, things that you already got in that um, PlayStation, uh, what was the, what did they call it, the thing for PS5 owners? Oh, the the PlayStation Collection, Essentials Collection. A lot of that stuff is already in there. Yeah. Like you get I was going through the list, I was like, oh, we already got that yeah. in the Essentials. If you, you have get Last of Us and you get and If you have PlayStation Plus, you already, and a PS5, you have access to this right. already. The ones you don't get, though, are interesting. You mm-hmm. get the recent PS5 remake of Demon's Souls. You mm-hmm. get um, both, uh, you get Ghost of Tsushima and you get um, uh, Death Stranding. Yeah, and those are probably games that a lot of people haven't played. Uh, like there, there's a chance that a lot of people haven't played on their PS5s yet because they are full price seventy dollars games that are being available for the first time in other ways. That's exciting, but that's like four games. Like you need if you want people to pe- like pay one hundred and twenty dollars a year for this, there has to be more. And those oh, and then but what's not in this story is that they did also confirm the first handful of. Um, time trial demos yep um that will have um about two hours yeah time trial two hour time trial and that will have um cyberpunk 2077 on it which is like all right might actually give that a shot for the first time. Uh, i saw tiny tina was also part of that as well wonderlands is on there um horizon 2 and horizon uh forbidden west so that's cool that that's there but again, the idea that you have to spend all that money to get two hours of those games is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Especially if the rest of your benefits aren't that great. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we still got a month until this debut, or less than a month until this debuts here in the U.S. I'm very, very interested to see what this entire list looks like. Yeah, I'm waffling back and forth between do I want it? Like, yeah. it's good. I thought I, I, I kind of like the, the value. I thought I did, but now but... I'm sure. Especially uh, the amount of games that yeah. I actually want to play that they announced that I haven't played but still want to play is maybe like three, and I can probably yeah. get those cheaper, like GameStop, exactly. or wait for a sale of PlayStation Plus, yeah, or the store, which is currently going on. There's always a sale going on for games. Exactly. They need a hook, and the hook's not there yet. I'm hoping they have something that we don't know about because that has to be the only reason why they haven't told us, right? Is because mm-hmm. they're holding something back for launch day. Otherwise, I don't know what they're doing here. Because that our launch week saying, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. in a couple of days, you can get all this. Here's the full list of 700 games. It's just weird. And they need it fast because I don't think they're convincing anyone. No. Anyway, that's PlayStation Plus. We'll see. We're, we're, our eyes are watching, and we will check it out when it gets released. Our wallets are patiently waiting yeah. whether or not they will be sold or not. But Sony has had a busy week otherwise as well. Yeah, so this is where we cross over into politics as yeah. Sony Interactive Entertainment is reportedly planning to donate to an abortion fund 
falling criticism from employees over its stance on reproductive rights. Last week, Sony Interactive Entertainment's CEO, Jim Ryan, sent employees an email urging them to, quote, respect differences of opinion on the topic in light of the leaked Supreme Court draft suggesting it intends to overturn Roe v. Wade, which legalized abortion across the U.S., for those of you that don't know. Uh, quote, respect does not equal agreement, he wrote, according to Bloomberg, but it is a fundamental, but it is fundamental to who we are as a company and as a valued global brand. The message, which reportedly went on to include five detailed paragraphs about Ryan's cat's birthday, <laughs> is said to have angered many PlayStation employees, including staff at Spider-Man Studios Insomniac Games, which themselves plan to donate $50,000 to the Women's Reproductive Rights Association Project. Okay. Or Sisters Project. A few notes of context for this story. First up, this was not an email out of the blue from Jim Ryan. Apparently, from people who work at Sony, or work at PlayStation specifically, um, Jim Ryan sends these emails weekly. They don't necessarily always delve into politics. Usually, they're just like a fun, like... This is Update what I've been... from the CEOs. What I've been doing, like I'm spending time with my family. Here's me at the beach, and like, so it's not. So the whole thing about like him talking about his cats, that's actually normal for what these newsletters. Are. Again, does the CEO really feel like anybody cares? Like, yeah, but do anybody care? Probably right. not. So yeah, there's a little bit of like ego, like like a little bit ego uh, stroking here that's happening when the CEO thinks everybody will care about his weekend. So yeah, that's. Neither here nor there. But that's the context for this, is that the, this was just one of those weekly emails. It wasn't like he wanted to specifically address this specifically. That being said, though, it's important to note that this doesn't just extend, this extends, this idea that he has extends way beyond just this email, because according to Insomniac and other studios speaking for, about this issue, they've been told on a studio level that they cannot make a public statement about this issue. Ooh. They're being basically stopped ahead of time before they go out and say something about it. Uh, so yeah, uh, Ted Price, the Insomniac CEO, mm -hmm. was basically out saying like, yeah, we can't, they, Sony's not even letting us make a statement, so all we can do is help with our wallets, essentially. That's why they made that donation, was because they were like, we needed to do something because Sony won't let us make a statement as a brand that they own either way. Isn't that in itself a statement? Uh, yes, it is. In fact, you are 100% <laughs> correct. So that's what Jim Ryan is saying here. It's not just at the water cooler discussion. He's literally saying, no, no one, like, please do not make a statement either way because he just, just doesn't want to address it at all. So the other note here um, is that the interesting wrinkle here is that the same day, future Sony studio Bungie was very vocal on their social media decrying the decision and were very, very, like, very clear about their pro-choice stance. Like, they were, like, no holds barred just going on about, like, a, like several tweet thread about how they felt about this decision. And when asked whether that, when they became a fully Sony studio, because I guess it was implied with Ted Price's statement that 
Bungie was allowed to say these things because they're not fully absorbed mm-hmm. into Sony yet. Bungie doesn't necessarily agree with that, though. They mm-hmm. they said that they're confident that even after that the purchase finalizes, that they will still be able to say their opinion on this. So we're getting mm-hmm. mixed messages from internal stu- studios at Sony here and whether what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. And maybe Bungie's getting like an exception because of how they've always kind of been known to be vocal. Maybe some, maybe a studio like Insomniac, even though they've been vocal about things before, all you have to think about is that that moment of like, oh God, how long ago was this? The reveal, uh, the E3 reveal of uh, of of um, oh, what game was that? Describe it. It was one of the Resistance games. I forget if it was Resistance two or three, where it was just like they were just did a really political statement on E three at E three. It was really funny, but like they've also been vocal too. But I guess for some reason, since they're already part of the Sony fold, I don't I don't know. It's weird. So yeah, this has made a pretty large backlash against Jim Ryan, who I swear every time that man says something, he puts his foot right in his mouth. He's also the guy who made that statement. A few years ago about how no one cares about old games mm-hmm. like why would someone care about old games so yeah no jim ryan should just shut up at this point he doesn't know what he's talking about and yeah it sucks for such a large company in the video game space to be like we can't make a statement about this is too controversial oh no mm-hmm. it's very uh somebody on a podcast brought up this comparison uh, that you'll appreciate Somebody was like, it's very Michael Jordan saying Republicans buy shoes too. Yes. Very similar, right? Anyway. I'd say it's um, very uh, apt that a brand or a child of a brand (laughs) is speaking out against what the parent doesn't want them to say. (laughs) Right. It's very funny. Yes. So yeah, we'll see what goes on uh, in the future, but ultimately, yeah, Jim Ryan just stepped in it this week, and Sony's gonna really have to like. I mean, <sighs> yes, it's also fair to point out Microsoft hasn't made a, sta- made a statement either. Mm-hmm. It's been very interesting, and a lot of people have brought this up on Twitter. It's been very interesting seeing the contrast between this and the Black Lives Matter uh, stuff from 2020 yep. specifically, where every brand came out of the woodwork to say their stance on it. Companies are very silent when it comes to abortion rights. And silence speaks volumes. Yes, it does. Speaking of speaking volumes. Yes. You, let's move on. You played a game. Yeah, I played a game. I'll be really quick on this because I haven't played a whole lot of it. In fact, I just played the demo. But <gasps> There's a demo. There's a demo on Steam. You should play this. Hey, do you like Peggle? Oh, wait. It's on Steam? Yes. Oh, I don't have a Steam account. Oh, okay. Well. Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I think it may be on other platforms. I'm not 100% sure. But, hey, do you like Peggle? Uh, yeah, I've played some Peggle. Peggle's pretty good, right? I dabble in Peggle. Hey, what if Peggle was a roguelike? Oh, you want me to play a roguelike? Yeah, what if Peggle was a roguelike where you played Peggle, but there was an enemy to defeat, and depending on the pegs you hit, you can get a critical hit and do damage to them. Okay. What if there's several enemies and you have to defeat them while maintaining that your health is still good? What if at the end of every round of Peggle, once you defeated those enemies, you were given a choice whether to get a basically a boon, like Hades style, yeah. or to heal yourself 20%? What if that kept going down like a path until you got to a final boss and cleared an area? And what if that run reset when you die, just like a roguelike does? 
But the Peggle roguelike. It's a Peggle roguelike. I'm here to tell you that Peglin is going to be a very dangerous game for me. <laughs> I know how much you like Peggle, and Peggle too. Oh, it's very, very good. So yeah, like, the mechanics aren't too complicated. It is surprisingly hard. Once you get into, like, the boss battles, it does some really interesting stuff with, like, basically, if you don't hit those critical, like, hit uh, pegs, you're kind of out of luck, because most of your most of your weapons, which are basically in the form of the balls that you're sending into the field, um, only do like a handful of damage per peg until you get that multiplier with the critical mm-hmm. hit. There's also, so the uh, boons that you get basically go range from different kinds of like special balls, like a rubber ball that bounces better, a dagger ball that does more damage when you hit the critical hit than mm-hmm. the normal one does. Or one that um, makes, like, changes the status of different pegs so that way in the future they do more damage or they stick around more. Pegs that reset once you hit them, um, reset the entire board, giving you more pegs to hit. Then there's other stuff, like, sometimes there'll, there'll be a question mark on the map. You'll have to go down one of the holes at the end of the, at end of the level, um, and something, a special event will happen, and maybe they'll give you a special item, or maybe it'll make you lose health. Or maybe you'll find a treasure that'll give you something really valuable that is like a permanent, like a passive ability that'll help you with the next few rounds. It's really cool. Okay. It's a fun game that melds Peggle and a roguelike RPG kind of into one. It's very simplistic looking. It's very like a 16-bit kind of uh, pixel style. Um, but yeah, it's a blast if you like Peggle and you're ready for something like kind of like with that roguelike kind of one more round kind of feel. So there's a free demo on Steam right now. Beyond that, it is a 19.99, 20 bucks. So uh, yeah, I'm pretty confident I'm probably just going to fork over the $20 and just play this because it's, it's I think, worth it. So I know it's on Steam. I'm not sure if it's on any other platforms right now. But it's a no-brainer for Switch. I'm sure that there'll be a Switch version of this in the near future, if not soon. But yeah, that's Peglin. It's fun. Peglin. It's fun. I'm, I'm glad we live in this era, this post-Puzzle Quest era, which every genre is getting mashed up between each other. Oh, I should mention also, it's not a full release quite yet. It is in early access. Okay. So they're going to continue making, they're going to continue, like, making, um, you know what you call it, like, like, uh, like, like improvements on it in the future. But yeah. That's Peglin. That's Peglin. Might be interesting. I might check this out. You know how much I like <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. I know you like Peggle. I love Peggle. That's why you talked about it. I had Christy try Peggle. She did not like it as much. Well, <laughs> I was hoping for it. All right. I think she was like, yeah, it's too random. I'm like, yeah. Part of the fun. Part of it. This is slightly less random. I noticed that some of the magic like healing shots you could pull off in Peggle do not happen as much in this. Okay. It feels like this, the, the, um, Whatever like extra magnetism that they were doing in the background of the physics engine in Peggle is not here in Peglin, which makes sense because there's more stakes here in Peglin. It's mm-hmm. not the same kind of game. It's not just like a high score game. It's about actually progressing. So it's a little bit of a different animal, and it, you have to approach it that way. But, okay, yeah, it's fun. All right. Uh, but with that, with that, I am almost a hundred percent in Kirby. Yes. I have, yes. So I've collected all the, the Waddle Dees. Yeah. I've upgraded all the weapons. Okay. Um, I've gotten all the captures, except 
for the oh the gotchas oh, the, the gotcha the gotchas gotcha entering yes making sure Kirby is not a, not robot. a robot yeah yeah except for in Planet Robobot where he was a robot yes or when he when he <laughs> swallows a robot and becomes yeah, Big Mouth Robot um, but yeah, no, the only thing left I have to do is that 12 bottle, 12, 12 battle bat boss oh, rush. the boss rush. Yeah. Boss rush. Yeah. That's the last thing that I have to do. Classic Kirby. Except I got to the final boss, died, ran out of coins so I couldn't revive myself. Oh no! And now I'm like stuck at zero coins. I'm like, oh, I gotta go farm some coins now. Yeah, we get some coins. Gotta go farming. But, um, yeah, I'm probably gonna 100% that this week and then return and see what I get next from there. Speaking of um, Kirby, I play uh, Kirby 64 Crystal Shards. It's now available on the expansion yes. pack in 64 service. I gave that up about an hour of my time last night. It's amazing how much I remember just muscle memory from <laughs> playing that as a kid. Yeah. Like 10-year-old me just woke up. It was just like, oh yeah, I remember everything about these levels. I remember this. I have to go back with the, the rock electricity power and... And I know that there's not a rock enemy on this stage, so I have to go to a previous stage and get it. Like, all that stuff came back. So Kirby 64 is one of the very, very few games that I've almost 100%ed on in 64. Okay. Very few of those. I was so young when I played it in 64 games, I didn't really bother to complete a lot of them. I wasn't that kind of player as a kid. I was like, I don't know, I finished it to my, like, level, and I'm like, fine. Mm-hmm. But now I'm, like, older, I'm like, okay. Like this was like this game was like easy enough where I could like wrap my head around it. I remember when I I got almost everything in Kirby sixty four back in the day. So that memory is coming back. So like I know where all the crystal shards are, and so I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this one. I need a cutter power for this one. Yeah, and I get why people are like who really love the more action oriented Kirby games like Superstar are are not as hot on Kirby sixty four, but I really like it. It's more methodically paced. Like, coming off of um, Forgotten Lands is going to feel a lot slower, I think, mm. for a lot of people. But I still like it. It's still a really cute game. Also, it looks a lot better emulated than I remember it looking on the N64. I, my memory still has the fuzzy CRT version of this yeah. game in it, and so I don't. So, like, seeing it clear and crisp is very funny to me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Kirby uh, 64. And also, they added the N64 Mario Golf. Ooh. That's up there now. Too. Yay. So there you go. That's what I played. Yep. Um, I gotta find um so I'm going on vacation. I might get Star Wars when I come back, so that's my uh, summer game. There you go. Good plan. Yep. Good plan. Does it make sense to buy it now and then I'll play for two weeks? Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, but I gotta get back to um so yeah, I'm I'm done with Horizon and Kirby for now. Or not Kirby, uh Horizon and Wonderlands for now. Mm-hmm. I gotta finish Kirby. Played a little bit more last week. And um, next up, I don't know. I If they drop uh, some of the Ubisoft stuff on um, Game Pass, I might, maybe if they put a Valhalla on there, I might give that a shot. But we'll see. Anyway, that Anyways. means that's it for video games, which means we can safely move on into the television section. And we always start television with the Sports Corner. Go the Sports Corner. The big news in sports this week is about some footy, some soccer. We got some soccer news for y'all. Yep. It's good news, too. Long time coming news, but it's good news. The U.S. men's uh, team and the U.S. women's team, uh, soccer team, national team specifically, here in the U.S., have ratified 
new collective bargaining agreements with the U.S. Uh, Soccer Federation? Yes. Okay. The deals will begin on June 1st and will last through the end of 2028. Before, if you recall, both teams were competing for attention and resources. Now they're working together to benefit both unions. The respective unions will receive 90% of the FIFA bonuses paid at the 2022 and 2023 World Cups and 80% of the bonuses at the 2026 and 2027 editions. All of the funds paid out from those bonus pools will be split evenly among the two national teams. FIFA has announced that the entire bonus pool from the 2022 World Cup in Qatar will be $400 million, while the bonuses for the women's tournament in Australia in 2023 will be $60 million. Both unions will participate in revenue sharing, including 10% of commercial revenue between $55 million and $75 million, and 15% of any commercial revenue above $75 million. Both teams will also receive an equal cut of ticket revenue, with the teams receiving $5.06 of each ticket sold through the end of 2026, and $5.75, this is getting really granular, of each ticket (laughs) during the final two years of the deal. In the previous World Cup cycle, the last place men's team won more prize money than the first place women's team. This, of course, comes after years of vocal statements coming out of the players. Yeah, eighteen players from the uh, from or around the women's national team. Mm-hmm. Who may I remind you, much much more successful recently than the men's team. So it's good to see that they're finally getting paid an equal share, and that. I can't believe it took this long to do it, but I'm glad that we're finally here. Uh, someone's always got to be the first yeah. in order to get equal pay, and this is the first one. Um, but yeah, everything is put into a pool, and then yeah. s- uh, sliced down the middle. Better, everything gets baked into the cake, and everyone gets an equal slice of the cake. Yeah. So yeah, it's good news all around. Um, I'm glad that the unions united in this uh, mm-hmm. to make sure that this happened, because otherwise, if they were still competing for stuff, I don't think it would have ever happened. Right. I think as long as the men's uh, men's union is going to or like going to fight, they're going to only fight for their stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was why we had that disparity in the first place. But yeah, congratulations to the the women's team. They finally get what they absolutely deserve, hands down. Yep. Um, three years of fighting. They finally. They are finally there. Finally there. Congratulations. Congratulations. In other sports news, uh, we do have an update on the NHL. Uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. This is where I cry my tears. This is where you cry your tears because unfortunately the LA Kings were eliminated by the Oilers. They move forward and will have their... In the Battle of Alberta, baby. Battle of Alberta against the Calgary Flames. You also have the Avalanche and the Blues. Yep. And the... Panthers. Panthers. I never remember the Panthers. Am I lying? Because they're thinking of Carolina Panthers. football. And then... The Hurricanes. Speaking of Carolina. Speaking of Carolina. The Carolina the, yeah, the Hurricanes and the Rangers. Uh, so. Yeah. So, yeah, last week we talked. There was like seven game sevens all happening over the course of the weekend. They all resolved. And they all resolved. Some teams won. Most teams lost. <laughs> I think that's how that works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Think how that works. That's your lineup for the upcoming uh, uh, Stanley Cup Finals. So, get ready. If your yeah. team is in there, get excited. Uh, in the meantime, the NBA playoffs are also still happening. Uh, good news for Miami Heat fans is they're still in it against yep. the Celtics. You also have 
The Warriors and the Mavericks. And the Warriors are up 2-0 on that so. after a disappointing showing from the Mavericks. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, we'll see how that ends up. But uh, it's too bad for if you're a fan of any other team. Oh, no, I want to show you this box score <laughs> if I can. Oh. Yeah, they were up 72 wow. to 58 Damn. and ended up losing by scoring 13 points in the third. And Golden State scored 43, 43 points in the fourth quarter wow. to win 126 to 117. Just hate to see it. So, yeah. Well, depending on who you hate. Yeah, exactly. So will the Warriors go back to the finals again? We'll see. As I've been saying, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Boston's going to win. <laughs> there you go. It's like the 90s all over again. Yep. All right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, in, That's your NBA finals. Yep. Um, the uh, 2022 PGA Championship is currently going on. Yep. Unfortunately, Phil Mickelson will not be back to defend his title. He has not played in an official yes. PGA round since he made his comments about Dubai. Yeah, we won't be seeing him for a while. Uh, what else do we got? Uh, sports. Baseball continues to be baseball. Yep. If your team has over 10 losses, you officially suck because the Yankees <laughs> are kicking all your asses. Well, until they have a four-game losing streak right now. Yeah, they we'll do. We'll see. We'll see. If they can hold on. Yeah, just, I yeah. don't know what's gone into them. Meanwhile, the Astros fucking have their renaissance uh, happening. R- yeah, Running it back. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I told you it was going to happen. Yeah. It was like, yeah, this is temporary because they're the team to beat still in the AL West. Use our magic on that uh, no-hitter. Meanwhile, the Yankees are wiping everybody's... Yep. Uh, like, uh, like, and the, the New York still powerhouse, both the Yankees and the Mets, and the are Mets. killing it. Yep. Um, so yeah, we'll Pol- see. Polar Bear Pete Alonso just crushing the ball everywhere. Jeez, yeah, every time I see clips. And uh, hey, uh, believe it or not, the Mariners don't suck that much right now, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yeah, uh, meanwhile in sports, just pulling up NASCAR here. Yes, because I think. Um, our NASCAR favorite Melon Man, Ross <laughs> yes. Chastain, is currently sitting at the top of the points. Hey, I'm trying to see where they're at right now. Oh yeah, the All Star Weekend. That's what I'm looking at. All Star. Yeah, it's All Star Weekend race this weekend right. for NASCAR at the Texas Motorsports Speedway. Oh, very cool. All right, that's it for sports. I believe anything else in sports before we move on. Uh, let's talk about sports entertainment and the drama that's going on there. No. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's move on into television news proper. Our first story is our seasonal story about Saturday Night Live. The season is just about to wrap up. The season finale is tonight. Yes. Uh, host Natasha Leone and musical guest Japanese Breakfast. Which, Delicious. Good job, Michelle, making it to SNL for the finale. Congratulations. Anyway, um, but the big news is not about the finale, but instead the people who are leaving after it's over. Big mass exodus has been reported uh, this season. The one that we kept thinking was going to happen for the last three years, and it's finally, finally happening. Pete Davidson, Andy Bryant, Kate McKinnon, and Kyle Mooney, and the already expected Michael Che, mm-hmm. are all expected to leave after the uh, finale airs this weekend. McKinnon and Bryant have both been stalwarts of SNL since joining the program back in 2012, and Kyle Mooney joining in 2013. Other SNL cast veterans that could be gone by next season but haven't made announcements yet 
include Keenan Thompson, who is always threatening, and Cecily Strong. We're always so, on Keenan watch. So uh, we were kind of talking about this pre-podcast, but to me, this is good. I always like when there's a full reset for mm-hmm. SNL because they have to kind of rethink what the show is going to be. And losing their big, like a bunch of big talent, especially at the peak of their fame right now with yep. Pete Davidson. Eh, fame? Because he's really been doing like the commercial shows. He hasn't really been in a whole lot of well, live stuff. Let's put it this way. There's a very thin line between fame and infamy. Yes. Right now, more people know... And he is straddling that Kim Kardashian line. I bet he is. (laughs) I bet he is every night. No, um, Pete Davidson right now, I feel like, has had his peak notoriety. More people know about Pete Davidson than ever before. Like you say, he was a practically unknown 19-year-old at the time when he started. Yeah, so just to see where he's at right now is worlds of difference from where he was. But yeah, I think this is an opportunity for them to really rethink the show. They're going to have to, no matter what, if... Michael Che sticks to his word. They're going to, no matter what, have to re- redo Weekend Update. Yep. And so, and with all these people leaving, they're going to have to refocus the show on the younger talent, uh, which could be good, I think, for how the, the show works. I think your new hotshots like Bo and Yang are going to get a lot more screen time because of this, which is nothing but good news. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to hopefully this being good for the show because it's really been stagnant for the last few years. Yeah, but there is hope. Um, there was a, an actual skit that SNL just recently did. It was called The Understudy. Okay. Uh, a bit. All right. Uh, who was it? Yeah, Chloe Feynman, who did yeah. impressions of current cast members oh, to a T. So that <laughs> hole that like Kate McKinnon and Eddie Bryant are leaving yeah. is going to be filled by... Chloe I mean, yeah, she seems like a really strong addition, um, even though she's been there for a couple of years now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sarah Sherman. Yes. Well, yes, absolutely. Give her I'm going to have a whole lot more screen time. She's so funny on Twitter. Um, uh, please try and look like day next season. Yeah, he's fine. He's fine. I don't know. He, he, uh, he pops. They, they have the pieces. Yeah. That's the thing. The last few years of SNL has been the same story, which is like they have the pieces there for good stuff. Just the writing has been so bad that they're underutilized. You have one good sketch every episode, and that's not nearly the odds are not nearly high as high as they should be. Well, this be. is the biggest cast that they've ever right. had, so oh, hopefully, hopefully anymore. Hopefully anymore. Hopefully they'll pair it back down to <laughs> yeah. what it used to be. So yeah, we'll see uh, what they end up doing. So yeah, finale tonight. I'll probably check that out because I like to have the breakfast number one and. Two, I would like to see how they send these people off mm-hmm. uh, if they actually are leaving. So um, expect some of the hits uh, to appear during uh, the weekend update. Yeah. Like Kate McKinnon's Ruth Gator Ginsburg bit, yeah. Kyle Booney's Baby Yoda bit. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Let's, a lot we need to move on from. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on also in the show to our second story here. Which is a big depressing thing. Hey, remember when you were talking about Netflix's money woes a few weeks ago? Yes, how they reported Q1 loss of subscribers for the first time. And you know that it's a business. So, as we say, in the as we podcast, say, it's a business. And you know how businesses react to things like that. No, of course they don't change internal strategy. Of course they don't blame leadership. No, they lay off people. Just regular people are working for them. And sure enough, this is me exactly sharpening my axe right here. Yep. With the That's exactly what they've done this week. 150 people have been cut, mostly in the U.S., as it works to rein in costs with its top-line growth having slowed down over the past quarter. 
The cuts come across departments and are give, are driven by the need to reduce expenses. I'm going to put quotes on this. There's no quotes in the article, but I'm going to put quotes on that, rather than the performance of individual employees, according to the company. The layoffs represent roughly 2% of the U.S. Netflix workforce. The job cuts come after Netflix laid off about four, 25 employees in its marketing group last month, including many on its to-doom fan-focused content team. If you don't know what to-doom is... It was a That's why they got fired. Yeah, it was a companion <laughs> app that had a bunch of people writing for it. They had done a massive hiring spree last year mm-hmm. for it, and they focused on hiring people from basically minority groups. They're trying to hire a lot of LGBTQ, a lot of women, a lot of uh, black, a lot of uh, Latino voices, Latinx voices. So yeah, those are the people, unfortunately, that all got laid off as part of this. And it sucks to see them just basically bail on that entire initiative. I didn't even know what to doom was until this story came out. That goes to show how much they just shoved that under the bus. And were mm-hmm. like, this is there if you care. But they did not do a very good job of promoting it. And these poor people didn't get to actually do much for it. So what a name. Obviously named after the sound that happens when you yes. open up Netflix. Anyway, Netflix has eliminated about 70 part-time jobs in its animation studio, which we already reported on. Mm-hmm. We kind of had like an early, early uh, story on that before that went wide. And is also cutting freelance roles in its social media and publishing group. Variety exclusively reported that Netflix has axed several animated projects, again, as I reported they would, uh, including Wings of Fire from Ava DuVernay, Anti-Racist Baby, a series aimed at preschoolers that they didn't realize existed until just now, and With Kind Regards from Kindergarten, which is probably also aimed at kids. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting that this coincides with um, a couple of um, renewal announcements that we'll get to. Yep. Uh, but yeah, weird. Weird vibe coming from Netflix. And to cut all those people right now uh, just it seems brutal. Yeah, it's instead like, of uh, cutting or retuning um, what Netflix is. What Netflix is, which is yeah. a production company at this point. But are they though? stuffers. Are they though? Because if for every show that they greenlight, they cancel two others. Yeah, it's like, what are they doing over there? They get two seasons, and that's it. It keeps the new things churning. Netflix continues to be a baffling second placer that's acting like a Siri. I'm not talking to you. Netflix continues to be a baffling, like make baffling decisions as a uh, company that is reeling from being second place for the first time in their existence. Mm-hmm. They're just so angry at Disney Plus that they're flailing. To figure out what they need to do. And cutting 150 people is not the answer. So, anyway, let's move on. Yeah. We, we watched a bunch of finales this week. So, as I mentioned last week, we are between this week, this past week, and the following week, a bunch of finales are happening. Yeah. One such finale, This Is Us. Yes. We'll have its finale next, next week. week. Also, The Circle will have its finale next, next week. We'll talk about those, Wait on those. next week. But there's uh, there's a handful of ones that we can talk about now. I want to keep Amphibia for last. Okay. We both watched that, and there's a lot to get into there. All right. So I'll be brief about 911 and The Good Doctor. These are basically yeah. stalwarts of their own. Your procedurals. Procedurals. Your stories. Yeah, my stories. My stories. Uh, 911. Getting more personal than I thought okay. they ever would. Yeah, because the premise of that show seems that that wouldn't get personal, right? Yeah. It's like basically like, Okay, somebody calls in the 911 and we deal with the problem. Right. Yeah. But it's getting more and more, especially this past season, into the characters' lives. 
Uh, it's been doing so with like its big main leads over the previous seasons, but more so in here. It's because I think you finally hit season six of, well, we've already done the big stuff. Now we need to do like the intimate stuff and be more into the side characters, like people you think are side characters, but you know everyone's a part of the team here. They keep bringing in and out more people. The stakes do get risen, but let me tell you, not to the levels of the Good Doctor. <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna do a throwback here. Remember when ER had the big like helicopter crash scene? Oh, do I? My sister was talking about that for a while. Yes. <laughs> well. The Good Doctor has finally gotten to that point oh, shit. where they've done the relationship stuff. They've done the over the uh, over the sea stuff. They've done the wedding stuff. Um, they have, at one point tried to do the baby stuff too, um, <laughs> but now they're doing the who shot X person yes. stuff for the next season. Got it. Um, so I think Good Doctor was also on the bubble as well, and they're doing the very soap opera dramas. Stuff of get like you can have your finale, but we also want a separate mystery so we get picked up because people really like us. Uh-huh. But is the good doctor's gotten very soap soap drama? It's very much fallen in for better or for worse into that line of Grey's Anatomy kind of show where everything is just so drawn out and overemphasized and just soupy soupy drama soapy <laughs> drama. Sure. I don't know if I, I don't know if this is the point where I want to stop watching. <laughs> this is probably the point where I say like, "Thank you, but I'm good now. I don't want to see where else this goes." Yeah, because it's these past several episodes started taking a really dark turn into other <laughs> people's lives. Uh-huh. Um, domestic violence Ooh. getting involved here, and some of this is like. Should this be more 911's take and not a doctor <laughs> um, surgeon's right, take? Right. Getting outside of its range. Though. Yeah. Huh. Does it work? Like, is it, it's still, are you still enjoying the show? It would have worked if it was part of, like, characters that we've known. Uh, but when you introduce new characters who've been background characters to the forefront and uh, they bring their baggage with them. So it's trying to be more of an ensemble show and maybe that's not. Yeah. Well, because like at the end of this season, they do the thing of, will this person stay? Will these these people want to leave? Is this the last we've seen of this person? Typical season finale stuff. So that way, come the next year, they can completely do a retool reboot of what they want this new season to be, what they want this new cast to be. Which means, come like the first episode, a lot of it's going to be swept under the rug. <laughs> so they can focus on what they want to do now. Right. Like, oh yeah, we got a renewal. Now let's focus on what we want to do next. Yeah. Well, we'll see if it works. Yep. Anyway. Anyways, um, I actually watched a new show. And you watched a new show. Yes. On HBO Max, based off the book and not the movie of the same <laughs> name. Yes. Because the movie was based off the book as well. Right. Uh, the Time Traveler's Wife. Yes. Meant to be a soapy kind of romantic genre sci-fi elements mm-hmm. about a woman who marries a time traveler. Makes sense. Spontaneously time travels, cannot control it. But <laughs> Do you hate when that point, happens? Yeah. I hate when I randomly <laughs> time time travel. Yeah. But eventually I'll always end up back to where I was. Of course. That just so happens rule. to be the 
world of time travel. Yeah. That's what the first episode does. It establishes our two main characters, establishes how the story is going to basically progress because much like in the same vein of This Is Us, it's going to jump all around the different timelines of these two people, of how they interact, how they go on their own adventures through their own lives, and the ins and outs of when and where they meet and how they meet mm-hmm. and how they um, interact and basically fall in love. Note, it does um, fall trap to the whole grooming thing. And it does make that very apparent in the yeah. first episode. It literally says, uh, has the little girl um, brushing her, like, her pony's tail. And the old, like, man, husband, time traveler is like, oh, what are you doing with the pony? He's like, oh, I'm grooming her. And she's like, he's like, nope, 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 not doing that. <laughs> oh no! So it's aware. Oh boy! It knows. It knows. It's aware, and I think it's going to try and play around that and not directly address it to the point that it's going to be interesting to see where it does go. Yeah, it's going to be weird. I mean, with something where you're going to have constant time travel, you're going to fall into those pits. Yes. Where it's going to be like, it's going to be weird with how those relationships change depending on like how they're seeing other characters in different timelines. Like, right. Because that's what this first episode is. It's mm-hmm. how they meet, which is with your time traveler. Yeah. That's different of mm-hmm. how did you meet this person? Because I'm older and they're younger. Or how did yeah. they meet? Like I'm the time traveler and I'm just meeting you for the first time, but you've already met me <laughs> and I don't know that yet. That sucks. Gets complicated fast. Yes. Now, from the time travel perspective, do you think it's got its rules stated firmly enough where you think it's not going to get too like out of bounds? Now yes. I just don't know the, the, the oh, book. No. I don't know the book well, either, but so. I think it's just taking the name and just yeah. kind of playing fast and loose with it because okay. I've never read the book. I don't. I've never let's see the, the how movie much. Either. Yeah, I don't know how much of this is actually material that was yeah. there. I think it's mainly taking it in name only and wants to play okay. on that. This is us kind of style of okay. uh, storytelling, right. where you're telling the the stories from different points of view, different points of a timeline. Could be potentially could be interesting, it like could an be interesting, interesting way to do storytelling. Yes. But like you said, there's a lot of things that they'll have to avoid before things get very awkward, yes. very fast. And there's a lot of questions <laughs> that, as time travel, you yeah. need to establish your rules. Yes, and it does that within the first episode, I think, really well because there's a lot of stuff that I'm thinking like, oh. Does this happen? Does this happen? Does this happen? And it's like, oh, I'm not going to tell you like all these rules. I'm going to show you. That's part of a good, good yeah. show. Yeah. It shows you like, oh, we know you have these questions because we thought about it in the writers' room. So instead of telling you here are the rules, because at one point it could have just did that. Yeah. It could have just said here are the rules, and it kind of does do that in terms of like here's just the generic rules that like you would tell a kid, which is basically telling the audience here's your generic rules. But then also. Here's how we're going to show you those rules in action. Like, it's not just, like, me as a body. Mm-hmm. Really, It's, like, all parts of me. Like, oh, I lost a tooth. Like, when I was young. That tooth time travels. Like, <laughs> like oh, I, sure. like, I took a poop. That poop will time travel somewhere. <laughs> and you can see where they're going to go with it. Like, 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 oh, yeah, I got a haircut. That hair will time, time travel travels. somewhere. <laughs> I don't know why. Anyway, well, interesting. It does play around with that. Um, yeah. But yeah, 
uh, as a sci-fi fan, I think it's a really done well. It's a really well done mm-hmm. sci-fi yeah. show. All right, sure. <clears throat> I so I think this is more of a couple show where it has the sci-fi for the guy, but the love story for the girl. <laughs> <laughs> something for everybody. It's a little something for everybody. Yeah. I want to get my daughter to watch this and see how what she feels about it. All right, very cool. Um, all right, all right. It's time. Okay, we've. We've been talking about this show. I'm oh, sorry, not we. You have been talking about this show. So, um, just, and you got me to watch yeah. this show. So, okay. So, first up, we should say we will be talking about spoilers here. It's going to be very difficult to talk around the spoilers for finale for series finale. So, just let this be your warning. Break here for the next like I don't know ten, 10 minutes. minutes. We'll be talking about spoilers for the finale of Amphibia and spoilers. As a whole for Amphibia. So everything is up for, for grabs here. So yes. skip forward if you don't want to hear it. But yes, let's get into it. So, so Amphibia uh, yeah. had its series finale yes. on Sunday last of this past week. So yeah. you, if you haven't caught up, you've had a whole week. <laughs> and boy, did it hit that landing. I feel very strongly about this finale. I think they did everything they needed to do. I think they wrapped up all of the loose ends. I think they told a story that I didn't. I wasn't sure at the beginning of this third season how they were going to wrap everything up at all. Very economically, and it all worked. And every all of the stuff that they even all the seeds that they planted even way back in the first season somehow pay off. And I didn't even think that they were planning that far ahead, but apparently they were. Um, I thought it ended extremely well. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I jipped at the end. Well, okay. We also had different approaches watching this. I've been watching weekly since day one. Like, I did not at any point binge this show. Yeah, I've been bomb binging. Yeah, and so I want to say that probably I would, the way I would recommend watching this is spaced out. Okay. Because I think that, especially season three, a lot happens back to back to back. That I could understand if somebody's just like, I am overwhelmed with what's happening here in this show. There's too many things happening that I have to keep track of. So by the end, I could understand how somebody maybe would feel overwhelmed. But if you've been watching since the beginning, I think it did a lot of stuff to pay off uh, a lot of the setup. So where did you get tripped up here? Like, what do you think that they could have done that they didn't? Oh. I thought they could have given um, Marcy and uh, Sasha more time with their powers. But I don't think it was about that. Well, I know they're not the main characters, but at the same time, I felt like, oh, you're going to give them, like, all the power at the end and then immediately take it away. It felt very 90s, um, like, wipe away. We're going to give you all the power and then immediately... Like, okay, that's that's our big finale. And not, like, okay. let you have this power, let you work with it. I want to see a battle between everyone, yeah. clashing of ideals, clashing of powers. But I think that, I, I see where you're coming from, and yeah, it is, from those characters' perspective, I, if you're, like, a big fan of those characters, I can understand that being disappointing. But for me, I felt like it fit the character arcs. Because... The character arc that the show cares about the most is Anne. Is Anne, yes. And the whole thing is about how Anne was trying to figure, like, basically trying to figure out, like, her position in 
in relation to her friends. Oh, you mean it's a coming of age story? But yes, what? It is. There's an element of that, certainly, but I think more so it's about it's about friend dynamics in junior high is what the show is ultimately about at its core. It always was, and it yeah. continues to be, yes. and that's how it ends. Is it's very much like when you're when you are 13, you make bad decisions with who you hang out with. Mm-hmm. I did. I'm sure you did. We all did. It's because that is that awkward age where you're like, I kind of am friends with this person just because they're here. Well, that's funny enough. I had that realization <laughs> yes. of talking to someone else about yeah. like, oh, like, why don't you hang out with anyone from high school? Like, because they sucked. <laughs> because I was forced to hang out uh-huh. with them. I was forced to by my parents of where I lived. Yeah. I was forced to by the public school I attended. Nope. It wasn't until like you go to college yeah. and beyond that you can make your own friends yeah. based off what you like. And You're like, not forced with the same and who they are group of people. Thing, is you yeah. start meeting like meeting people as people at that point, and it's different. You make different relationships. And I'm not saying that's the case for everybody. I'm sure that there are those people out there that have really strong friendships with people that they knew from yeah. junior high. And I'm not saying that you can't build upon that foundation and make that a strong friendship. That's ultimately what happens in this show. But what it nails, what it nails really well is that feeling of, why am I hanging out with these people? Mm-hmm. And once you find out who you are, you do question that. And that happens to all three of these characters. Yes. But it happens the most with Anne. Anne realizes by the end of this is like, oh, actually, I know who I am now. I'm not that person I was. I can stand up for myself. I am courageous. I have this power. So I feel like her, the power being power is being focused on her character and her dealing with having that power is the end of that character arc. Right, but did they actually have to like blatantly <laughs> set it up at the very at the penultimate episode, the hour long, like with the uh, school principal, like who am I? Essay. That was a very yeah. like, and a very easy way to do that. It's a very on-the-nose interpretation of that, I agree. But I think it was a way to make it obvious for the people who missed that. Because, okay. yeah, I feel like, remember, this is a for kid's, kids show. show. yes. So you have to keep that in mind. Yes. Like As much as it does delve into this deeper material, they also have to occasionally remind the kids who it's aimed for what it's actually about. I think it was a great lesson for kids. If I had something like this at that age, I would have absolutely learned something about it because I was going through exactly the same situation as Anne, where I was like with friends that were bad influences that I didn't want anything to do with, but I had to hang out with because they were the only people I knew. Or it's what your parents knew, and they're yeah. like, "Hey, hang out with them." Or you were on a like sports team, like, "Hey, yeah. you're on sports team. You're gonna see them yeah. at school. You might as well hang out." So for me, I never expected so. I, and I don't know, maybe this is just me. So I knew the story was setting up for Marcy and Sasha to also have some sort of powers. Mm-hmm. We understood that that's how the the the, uh, the gems worked. worked yeah. and the only reason why Anne got hers early was because they were only it was that partial it was that partial energy distribution thing. Mm-hmm. She still had some in her. They did it. That's why they didn't get the powers until the end. That makes sense to me. So the show already explained why that wasn't going to happen until the last second. But also, their arcs were so different that I don't think they needed the powers to feel empowered. They already, in fact, you could argue both of those characters already had too much power, just mm-hmm. not physically. They, the whole narrative yeah. with Sasha, Sasha is that she was kind of a jerk. And she did kind of not listen to her friends. And that she was kind of bossy. And she was very headstrong. Yeah, she learns by the end of it that she should have uh, been so selfish. And that she needed to listen to what her friends were telling her the whole time. Mm-hmm. And needed to make new friendships. Right, I feel like you can 
take on anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Very funny. And then Marcy's whole thing was that she felt so powerless in her relationship that the one moment she was able to grab power, she mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. And it ruined her friends' lives and her life and life in, in the end. And so she that was her, her arc is basically realizing, oh shit, I really screwed up. If I had actually like maybe instead of having this one outburst, and I can relate to this, I should have actually been standing my ground the whole time, is what she realizes. I actually should have realized what was best for me in the moment instead of uprooting our entire lives for something that I thought I wanted. And so yeah, so I don't think they needed so the the moment I think that it makes sense from an arc story, a story arc perspective that the when they finally do get their powers is only after they realize they screwed up, because if they got it earlier, I think if that payoff had found earlier, they that would have been before they finally got to the end of that arc. Like maybe Sasha, because she does find, like she does kind of get there mm-hmm. a handful of episodes before the finale, but Marcy doesn't because Marcy's taken over. Marcy right. isn't even Marcy until. The well, that's what I mean. Like, I wanted to see Sasha get that power on her own, not given to her. But that's what I'm saying is, metaphorically, she does. She just doesn't have yeah. the shiny, shiny, like, space stuff. The shiny anime powers. For Sasha, the power is her finally realizing that she can forgive mm-hmm. and forget and move on and actually help. That's the power that Sasha comes into. Anne's is just given a physical manifestation earlier and because i think that it makes the show work better if she has she has the shonen anime powers before everybody else does yeah but <laughs> it also falls into main character powers it does lead character powers. she is the main character yes i know away from that i know it's not an ensemble show as much as it I is it to but be. it's not yeah focused on it i don't know so that's why I think that part of it worked a little better for me was because I was like, they didn't need the power. They didn't need those powers. And so Anne did. Anne needed a reason to become the focal point. And Sasha and Marcy's whole thing was that they needed to be told that they aren't. Mm-hmm. So, but the rest of it I think really worked. I like how they worked in as all the side characters yeah. over the last couple of episodes to really feel like everybody partook, including people that <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> um, it showed up in the background. It was great, and I really, really, really loved the flash forward time jump at the, at the end. I thought it needed it as soon as uh, we got to the end. There, I thought, okay, we're getting a time jump here. Yeah, it's coming. Because if you recall, but rewind the podcast a few years back mm-hmm. when Star versus the Forces of Evil had its finale. Yes, I remember that was the one thing that we kind of t- kind of talked about with that finale, which is they ended kind of ambiguously. They left that to the fans to decide how the future went. Yes, all magic is gone, and the, everybody lives in harmony, but now what? Mm-hmm. Like, this just that made that extra extra choice to be like, yeah, we could we could have ended you on that, but no, we're just going to give you that payoff. We're going to give yeah. you the payoff that you want. Well, because otherwise the you, have the fa- you have fans and every woman on, online right. being like, does Marcy actually eventually do move yeah. away? Do they still stay friends? Does yeah. Sasha continue to be the cheerleader? Like, how does that work with dynamic with Anne? And I think that's important that they do that because, especially with Marcy, mm-hmm. you do need to resolve that because yeah. otherwise, otherwise it's like, well, that kind of weird for Marcy's character. What happened? Mm-hmm. So yeah, you did get that payoff, and oh my god, the literal sh- yelp I made when they showed the fucking uh, Aquarius of the Pacific. Yes, I literally yelped. <laughs> Like, Christy was in the other room 
she is not caught up to where yeah. I oh, to the end yet. So I had to watch it without her, and she was literally like, "What happened?" I was like, "I can't tell you." <laughs> but that literally was just like right because it's because it's a local landmark yeah. for us, and I spent a lot of time there. And to see her end up there, I was just like, "Ah, that's so cute, so perfect." It's so perfect for uh, that character and where I want that character to be. Excuse these tears. Oh my god. Yes. And fucking Sasha with the uh, bisexual pride flag uh, in her car. Mm -hmm. Did you notice that? Yes. I was like, yes, Sasha! (laughs) Yes. Makes so much sense, honestly. And good for Marcy. And and the cross swords over the the car. Yes, are also in the... Well, they were in those colors originally, but also... Yes. Also, it makes sense. Yes. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's perfect. It's great. Um, and Marcy being a fucking webcomic artist is so perfect, <laughs> yes. too, for where she is. Um, yeah. they the, All the characters ended up where I need them to be. I love uh, Frog Polly, mm-hmm. and I love where that's going. Like, just all the stuff that they did to resolve all the characters, I think, were perfect. And yeah. it landed really satisfyingly for me. And, and, but, but you're not wrong, though. I think the big shonen powers scene is probably the weakest part of the episode it's but they beautiful. needed to do it it's beautifully animated oh yeah absolutely. but it does feel completely separate from what the show is but that's the thing and it is that the show yeah i mean there's the, there's there's an argument for it i mean you saw essentially they did the same thing steven universe did yeah which is you have the emotional core of the show and the shonen anime part of the show and they do coexist, and I think you're right. Amphibia spent so much time in season one not being that, that by the time they pivoted to that in season two, it did feel a little jarring. But even in season two, it was, like, very limited of when they did right. it. And in so season three, it's, it's, just it's just constant. Yes. It's like, no, we are fighting robots this entire show. Yeah, we need you to be powered. Is. Yep. That's what the show is now. And so, yeah, you're right. It's a little less balanced, because with Steven Universe, it was there since episode one. And so to ease into right, two, and with Star Wars the Universe, it was yeah. at the end of episode one and all through season two and three. Yeah, yeah. So it was more closer to that. I didn't feel like it was super jarring by the end of it, but I do think that the show is better when it's doing the more uh, the, the the more personality based, character based stuff than it is doing the action stuff. All right, we went over our ten minutes, but five, <laughs> I want, can we spend five minutes uh-huh. on the cat? At the end of the universe. <laughs> that was weird. I feel like... I don't know if you need that stuff. I see why they did it. But ultimately, the Anne going into purgatory for a hot second and yes. talking to the, the, the president of the universe or whatever the hell. Yes. Like, I get why you do that from a storytelling perspective. You see so many young adult stories end there. Hell, you can say, obviously, Harry Potter did it. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, like that's probably the first example people think of. But so much media has done the same thing. Yep. I get why they do it. Do I think it's totally necessary? No. It's fine. I don't know. I, I also thought that that was kind of like... They, they wanted their sacrifice and right. cake and eat it, too. But I feel like they already did it. With her saying, no, I don't care. Like, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, you could still have her come back alive there and it not feel... And it still feel earned. I don't think you necessarily need the whole, like, oh, do you want to be, like, cop of the universe, essentially? Yes. Like, you don't need that. I see why they did it, though. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's fine. 
that part's fine. I don't know. Great idea, but like we've seen it. I don't know. It can be seen as Anne's ultimate test of, yeah. I can give you all the power, or do you still want to be well, reject to, the to power? To me, the reason why that doesn't work in the way but she already made that decision is that, one, she already made that decision, and two, she's never been the character to be like, I want the power. Right. Even when she was, before she learned all the lessons, she wasn't that character. Mm-hmm. She was literally just a, an, like a jock slacker. That was always who Anne was. She didn't care. So to give her this, this like implies like that implied she, option. Uh, option. She's never gonna pick it because right. she was never that person. That's a Sasha choice ultimately. Mm-hmm. So Sasha didn't need to have that choice at that point either. She'd already learned her lesson. I don't know. Um, yeah, you're right to bring that up because I totally forgot that happened. Because <laughs> it feels like such a minute part to me. The thing that the finale does that they needed to do in order for it to feel satisfying. They did with the character stuff. They did with the interpersonal stuff, the relationships. Because that, to me, is the part that matters in Amphibia. And ultimately, a lot of people are calling this kind of an end of an era. Because beyond the Owl House, which still is going on and will still have those like movie-length special episodes to come, mm-hmm. it feels like it's kind of the last... Those two shows are the last of its kind. Um, what else is there that has like an episodic... I'm not episodic. Uh, the opposite. Serious. Serial, like, like there, there's they're few and far between now. Mm-hmm. There used to be so many of them, and now with Amphibia gone, it's just Owl House. I can't think of another one. I mean, HBO Max has already confirmed that they're going to do more spinoffs of Adventure Time, so that will remind. Okay. That's it, right? Yeah. I can't think of any others that have been that have been greenlit. Did the I wonder if the the um, the pandemic killed animation. Not necessarily killed television animation because I still think that will happen. Yeah. But they killed the serial style that was so popular after mm. Adventure Time. I wonder. I don't. I don't know if there's any future shows that are doing that anymore that are getting greenlit still. Uh, Cartoon Network has mm, Craig yeah. of the Creek, but that's an episodic show. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what what happens in the future with how these cartoons work. Going yeah. forward. There, there was one show that I saw. I think it was greenlit coming up soon. Um, currently, it was like it's a Disney animated time travel show uh-huh. that's supposed to have those kind of elements. Okay, that sounds like potentially. I only saw it briefly. We'll see if it actually. Um... <laughs> apologies, uh, apologies if the uh, the recording the is weird right now because we're having some technical. Uh, difficulties. Yeah, we will let so you just know. close it. Okay. All right. Yeah, hopefully that'll fix it. Yeah, All uh, right. Well, let that move us be our pivot point. Let's move yep. on. So, Amphibia overall, I enjoyed the finale. I felt like it ended where it needed to end. Yep. Um, and congratulations to a good run. That was it's, it's a great show, and it's all on Disney Plus very soon, uh, or will be all on Disney Plus very soon. So check it out. Yep. Let's move on into cancellations and renewals. We got not as much as last week, but definitely a few we need talk about yep fox decided to delay its renewal yes, stuff till this week so we have those announcements first up they canceled pivoting after one season it's pivoting into not being a show yep. uh canceled our kind of people also after one season guess they weren't their kind of people Ooh, don't we can't say that <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what it's about anyway <laughs> next it's, up it's the uh like uh, empire um equivalent uh okay uh, it was like the, the they took the Empire because that ended and tried right. to make this the Empire sequel. Ah. 
Well, it did not work. What uh, did work, though, inexplicably for um, for Fox, though, is Call Me Cat, which is somehow getting a third season. I want to say because it's cheap to make, but then yeah. again, it's multi-cam, so. Or multi-cat. Ah, yeah. And they're bringing back Welcome to Quatch for a second season. As well as 911 gets a sixth season, and 911 Lone Star gets a fourth season. The Masked Singer also doesn't end with another season of that. And then Crime Scene Kitchen will get a second season as well. The yeah. Resident will get a fifth season. So there's Fox for you. Yeah. NBC will be bringing back The Voice for a 22nd season. Netflix has confirmed that Black Mirror will return for a sixth season. Um, there will be more movie-length 90-minute episodes yeah. Yeah, uh, for its sixth season whenever. That that's just, it's confirmed that's in pre-production now. Okay. Uh, then... Al Rawabi School for Girls will get a second season on Netflix. Probably its last because it's Netflix. Yeah, because it's Netflix. The Eric Andre Show will get a sixth season on Adult Swim. Tuning Out the News will get a third season on Paramount Plus. I'll keep that one for last. Barry will get a fourth season on HBO. Delilah canceled after one season on OWN. Still programming for the network. Netflix has announced two more seasons of Heartstopper, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Yep. And last but definitely not least, the news that shocked everyone, not really. Again, How CW Watch 2022 yeah, CW continues. Watch. They did the thing that I said they were going to do. Yeah. Once they got down to the Berlanti core, there was one show that had to go. Riverdale, canceled after the upcoming season seven. So we're in season six right now. Once this wraps, we will have a final season next year in 2023. After that, Riverdale will end. The good news, though, they did say that they're giving the cast and writing crew the opportunity to end it on their terms. So, so they will be able to write a proper finale for Riverdale. So is this the when we get to bring this up? Soon. Not yet. Not yet. Not we yet. have to wait until that show I have been watching this. It's Weird. been on watch since January. Yes. yes. It's this year. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Warner is just still trying to figure out what they're going to do with the CW. And I think I still think what I said last week is true. I think they're turning the fat and getting it lean, so that way they can just pawn it off on somebody else to just completely reboot it. Yeah. Just completely rethink what this network is under new leadership, under new ownership. Because I don't think it'll be the CW as we know it for too long. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Riverdale's a big key key of that because it's their one of their crown jewels. We lose Riverdale. What is the CW at this point? Because uh, we already killed the Arrowverse. Yeah. We, I don't know what it is. I don't know what the CW is anymore after this. So we'll see. One death to talk about real briefly. John Eilward, age 75, was an actor in ER, The West Wing, and Way Back. So, a character actor. Character wherever actor. he popped up, he was like, oh, it's that guy. Who knows? Last. Pivot is, of course, to our last segment here. That's it for television. We get to talk about movies. We always open with movies with the weekend box office. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is still your number one movie. Uh, about a 50% drop-off. It's now at $61 million mm -hmm. this week. That's at $292 domestic. Still across the $300 easily. Yeah. Yep. Number two, The Bad Guy is number $7 million. That's at 66 Number three, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, $4.6 domestic. We will talk about Sonic later. Number four, <laughs> Firestarter, $3.8 million debut this week. It's fine. 
And five, everything everywhere, all at once, another $3.3 million added to the 70, or sorry, $47 million domestic total. Probably that, decent for what that movie is. Uh, that film was made on a $20 million budget so, yeah, for A24. More than made its money. Um, if it hits another $3 million and crosses the $50 million mark, it will be officially become A24's <laughs> highest wow. grossing domestic film. It'll do it. I think it'll do it. I think it'll do it. This week, though, it's time, finally time. Something for everybody this week. For your dad, Top Gun Maverick is finally in theaters. Yeah. After much, much, Upcoming much for the Memorial Day weekend. Yes. But if you're not into that, the good news for you. Because the Bob's Burgers movie is also in theaters. Yeah, it is. This might be Christie's first uh, trip to the movie theater. I think we're, fi- we're actually going to go and see this. Because <laughs> we love Bob's Burgers. We're very excited for this movie. So that's this week. So get excited for those two very different movies. Uh, otherwise, also out is another A24 film, yes. Men, the horror film. Yes, Men. We talked about that last week. And Downton Abbey, yes. Colin, A New Era, which yeah. I think is only out this weekend, but wide release this weekend. There you go. Moving on to our movie news, our first story is about Star Wars because it's, you know, we're a media podcast in the 2020s. We're going to talk about Star Wars all the time. Well, we haven't had any new Star Wars films true. since 2019. And after that one, I'm glad. <laughs> anyway, a celebration of Star Wars will take place next weekend, but the news of the next films are already beginning to circle. Mainly, Lucasfilm head Kathleen Kennedy has avoided using the term trilogy when discussing upcoming projects because, quote, Star Wars is much more about persistent storytelling. This suggests they are going to deviate from the Marvel formula and focus on director-driven standalone movies. The next film up will be from Taika Waititi, set for December 2023. That was previously the date that Patty Jenkins' Rogue Squadron was going to debut. No longer the case. Nope. Which will mark the newest Star Wars film since The Rise of Skywalker in 2019. The Ryan Johnson trilogy that was announced five years ago is now on the back burner, as Johnson is busy with other projects, including the Knives Out sequels for Netflix. Instead, Spider-Man director John Watts will be creating a new feature based on Four Children, which is being described as a galactic version of Amblin coming-of-age adventures of the 80s. Stranger Things. Yeah, sounds like Stranger Things. Yes. Weird. Meanwhile, there is no word on the Kevin Feige-produced project that was also announced. I feel like that's the problem when you have so many different Star Wars projects mm-hmm. and various states of development. Eventually, you're just going to have to focus on one or two. You're going to have to eventually be like, all right, they're working on other things. Let's wait on them to finish it up. Do note that these are the feature films. This is separate from the Disney, Disney Plus, Plus shows, yes. which we have Obi-Wan Kenobi premiering this upcoming week. And yeah. we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, I don't think we will because I won't be here next week. Yeah, I guess not. Mm-hmm. Two weeks, then. Yes. Uh, so yeah, it's Star Wars is just in a weird place right now. Disney Plus seems to be the focal point of the of where the the franchise is, and people got a really bad taste in their mouths after Rise of Skywalker. So it's gonna be really interesting what they do with the Star Wars movies going. Right, forward. which is interesting because Ryan Johnson greenlit the, his own sequel trilogy yeah. from Kathleen Kennedy after the Last Jedi, and then it came out and yeah. fans were split on it. Wrongly so, on one right. side. Yes. I think, yeah, Disney was hesitant to absolutely be like, please do everything you can. So mm-hmm. he was like, all right, I'm going to take my ball and go to Netflix 
where they're going to make me uh, actually where I'm going to make stuff that I want to create. Where, where they're not going to oversee my head and right. be like, oh, make it this way, this way must include X, Y, Z. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if that's actually good for them. I would. Lo- I mean, I'm excited to see more yep. Knives Out. Way more excited to see more Knives Out than I am to see more Star Wars at this point. But as I mentioned. Um, Next weekend, over Memorial Weekend, will be the Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim at the Anaheim Convention Center. Yes. Um, then we will get probably definitive news of, I guess, the name of that Taika Waititi thing. Yeah. Maybe. Um, official announcements from John Watts, even though it was confirmed in the Vanity Fair article, which came out this week, which is where all this news is coming from. Yeah. We'll see. But hey, it's a Star Wars Celebration coming up. I really hope this Taika Waititi thing is a Star Wars comedy. Give us a Star Wars comedy, like Thor Ragnarok, but Star Wars. Yes. Do it, please. The only thing that would get me to see. All right. Our second story moves on to Elton John. Believe it or not, not in the music section this week, in the movies section. Why, you ask? It's a crossover. It's a crossover. Disney Original Documentaries and Disney Plus have won the rights to a big feature documentary package. Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road, colon, the final Elton John performances, and the years that made his legend to the tune of $30 million. Designed to serve as the official feature on Elton John, Goodbye Yellowbrick Road is comprised of unseen concert footage of him over the past 50 years, handwritten journals, and present-day footage of him and his family. At the heart of the documentary is Elton John's Farewell Yellowbrick Road tour, as the film will capture Elton John's final months on the road, culminating in his November performance at Dodger Stadium in his final North American show. The plan for the project is to get a festival run and limited theatrical release and be made exclusively on Disney+. Plus. The deal may also include the rights to a live stream for that final concert. So, they're giving him the get-back treatment, except yeah, they for are. even bigger in scale. Because it's Elton John. Because Sorry. Elton John. I, I'm, I'm, sir Elton John. Sir I am dumb yes. for not including God sir. sir. You gotta have the sir. He's God been knighted. Sir. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, this is smart. Um, take advantage of kind of this end of an era for Elton's career. Mm-hmm. Also, go putting into that kind of new music documentary category that Disney Plus has with yeah. um, Taylor Swift, with yeah. Olivia Rodrigo, Billie, Billie Eilish, Eilish, the Beatles. Yeah. Yep. They're, they're, yeah. Me, me, uh, me they're, they're slowly cur- curving out their own um, little niche there. Yeah, I remind you, like I've been saying this whole year, this whole calendar year, we are in the golden era for music documentaries. Yes. This continues that. I'm uh, sorry. Happy to see it. Yep. Also, Disney Plus. Or rather, Disney in general, not listed here in the news, but I just remembered, officially purchased POW, yes. the Stan Lee-owned yes. um, comic book company outside of Marvel that he founded post-Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, they officially bought POW, and part of that deal is to license Stan Lee's likeness in yeah. movies. I, I think you saw this too, right? I did, and yeah. I don't know how I feel about this. I don't love. I just the remember idea. that was a thing that happened. Yeah. We didn't talk. Yeah, I don't love the idea of wheeling out a dead guy and being like, "This is a character in our universe now." So it's part <laughs> character, but I think what they want to do is um, use them in the parks as part of like holographic imagery know. or like storytelling. I don't feel comfortable with that. I don't know. I feel like if the guy is dead, just let him be dead. It's Disney. Do they let anything? I know die? they never. I mean, Walt Disney is still alive to them. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. But it's stupid, and I like it. <laughs> I'm just saying they do this because with with Sir Elton John now getting up in age, 
Like they have yeah. all this concert footage and like, hey, we can put this together. No one ever dies like, anymore. They literally just did it with the Beatles in documentary footage. Yeah. Thank you, Peter Jackson. I think he's dead. I think he's lived forever now. Yep, anything can be rebooted, it's retooled. True. What a perfect segue. Reimagined, if you will. Because we have quite a reimagining <laughs> okay. to talk about this week. So, right, so Disney Plus. We're, we're at hour 47 into this right yeah. now. Yeah, I think we could do 15 minutes in this. Uh, uh, sorry, hour 40, uh, 43, 47, 43. Yeah, I hope we don't go beyond 15. But Oh, we're going to go over 15. Time to talk about this week's Disney Plus movie du jour, which is a reboot of sorts. Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Now, before we start talking about the movie... What's your relationship with Chippendale Rescue Rangers, the Disney Afternoon I cartoon? I watched the Disney Afternoon cartoon okay. show. Right. One of the staples of Disney Afternoon cartoons. Great theme song. Oh, yeah. yeah. Only second DuckTales. Blue Who? Yes. But uh, still pretty strong. Yeah, I, I feel like I watched my share of Chippendale. I don't remember anything about it, though. Which I feel like they know that you don't remember anything about it. I think the reason, one of the things that works about this movie is that the movie itself knows that nobody has nostalgia for Chip and Dale. Mm-hmm. Even if it tries to play it to you, you have a nostalgia for Chip right. and Dale. <laughs> Still, you don't. You might think you do, but you don't. So, this is a movie that only exists, it exists in conversation with the fact that everything is getting reboots right now. Mm-hmm. It is like a response to the fact that every three days you see a news story where it's like, oh, such and such from whatever, from the 90s. Everything is. And so this movie is a reaction or a commentary on that, you could say. Instead of doing a straight-up Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers reboot, they have chosen to make a meta movie that is about what if Chip and Dale were actors like in a a Roger Rabbit-style tune-in real-life hybrid Mm -hmm. world, except everything else is just Los Angeles. Um, and, and, and we were supposed to believe that they were actors that had a career, they had a falling out, the show was canceled, and this is them in current day reuniting, except they happen to also stumble upon an actual mystery that they do have to solve, thus creating a scenario in which they actually have to be rescue rangers in real life, mm-hmm. even though they are actors first. That is the premise of this movie, and they roped in, um... The Lonely Island, oh, yeah. essentially, to yes. uh, so Jorma Tacone is the director here, Andy Samberg is uh, Dale. Dale, Dale, yes. John Mulaney is Chip, even though he's had kind of a rough year. Um, um and it's and so it's it, it's a comedy first in that kind of Lonely Island style. Um, and if you don't know what we mean by Lonely Island style. Go and watch um, a better movie, Popstar. Popstar, never stop. Which never does stopping. a lot of what this movie tries to do, I think, way better. Well, because um, that was a play on all these concert films that were coming right, out, right, right, behind right. the scenes stuff. Yeah. Um, so this is the play on all the meta commentary yeah. on actors and careers so, and IP revivals. So that's why I thought going into this that that was going to be the focus here. I thought this movie was going to be like, hey, let's have some. Lonely Island style fun with the idea of reboots. Like, the idea of a reboot. Because that seems like, on paper, on paper, that seems like a good idea, right? Yeah. Like, like it's a fun way to riff on something that's super prevalent right now. That's half of this movie. And that's the half that works. The half that doesn't work is the fact that this is also Disney's foray into the metaverse conversation. 
This is Disney's opportunity to be like, hey, you want us to show off all the stuff we own? I mean, Re- they already did Warner that. did it with Ready Player One. Warner did it again with Space Jam 2. Why can't we do it too? But they already did that with Wreck-It Ralph. Except they didn't. This goes even further than that, to the point where they are also roping in stuff that they don't own. The deals that must have been that had to be made for this movie to happen must have been insane. The legal, like the legal conversations, like the lawyers that had to have conversations with other studios. I can't imagine all of the contracts that had to be written up for this thing. There are things that are literally only on the screen for two seconds that must have required so much work for Disney to do. It is Disney showing off that they have all the money in the world Mm -hmm. and they can make literally any of Jorma and Andy's stupid ideas come to life. That is literally what this is. It's Disney showing off. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is the part that does not work out. Oh, that's the part that worked for me so well. Really? I love this thing. Really? Yes. There are so (laughs) many meta inside jokes into this. So much background stuff that deserves a rewatch. But that's all it is. And? Because when you boil it down, the actual story... Okay, what I'm saying is, if you remove all of the references that are there for reference sake, and all the comment, the meta commentary stuff, you are left with the most boring, cliche story plot that you can imagine. But it leans into it. It does. It doesn't shy away from it. It says it knows that's going to be cliche. It's the only no. way we're going to write this thing. But, but we're going to lean so far into it that you're going to make it enjoyable. But it didn't work for me. It I was, was so, so distracted. Work. It was so enjoyable. I was so distracted by the the how boring the actual plot was. I didn't care. I did not care about these characters. I was like, man, they are ca- like like I guess like I'm supposed to think that that Dale's like charming, I guess, in his stupidity. But it never came across as charming enough. And I love Andy Samberg. But this is the second in a row of Andy Samberg's performances that I feel like he only half sold it. This and his role in Wonderlands. <laughs> I feel like he's getting to the point in his career where now like, you expect an Andy Samberg character to be an Andy Samberg character. And I feel like he lost, after Brooklyn Nine-Nine ended, I feel he lost the charm of it. And now I feel like he just does the, like, the, the, like, the, he does the, enough the to sell it. But he doesn't do that extra mile of being like actually funny and like and charming, and so and then John Mulaney, like I, his performance is so boring here. He's supposed to play the straight man, but it's too much. It's too straight. It's like when you get John Mulaney, I want him to be big. You don't cast John Mulaney if you don't want him to be big. He doesn't do any of the John Mulaneyisms. John Mulaney's not big though. John Mulaney is the straight man that comments on everything. Is he though? He because... is Jer- He is our Jerry Springfield. Seinfeld. Seinfeld. <laughs> Seinfeld. It's invented a man. Yes, it is. Um, no, like, the, one of the things I like about John Mulaney is when he goes over the top. To me, that's a piece of his stand-up act. So, I don't like him as a straight man. I don't want him to be a straight man. Anyway. His voice lends itself to being a straight man, though. Until it doesn't. And that's the thing, is that sometimes he does go above that. Anyway. Um... I just think that the story that they're actually telling here about, like, what they're actually saying, when you give it more thought than, like, two seconds, is troubling. And what I mean by that is, 
it's a movie about re- reboot culture that's basically just saying like that wipes all under the uh, under the blanket and saying I don't know it's fine maybe this should happen, which is like already like all right is that what this movie is saying? It's also a movie that is saying a lot about bootleg IP. Yes, it's a it's a movie that has a lot to say about how Disney actually feels about when their stories that they've made are repurposed in other with other studios in some real grotesque ways. I don't love the villain of this thing. Really? I think that it's a really weird thing for Disney to do. There's a lot of moments in this thing to be like, Disney, a company that's usually pretty strict about how they use their classic characters, completely throwing all the rules oh, out yes. the window. I don't love that for them. Oh, I that's the part I'm really enjoying. For a movie that has a punchline about Shrek, it is very Shrek, which is shocking to me. I didn't think I would live to the point to see Disney make something as as weirdly freewheeling as this with their IP. But at the same time, also feel like something that's preaching at you about how that's bad. It's... Speaking of having a cake and like uh, wanting the cake and eating it too, it's like this is very a cake and eat it too movie. It's a movie that is ostensibly telling you, man, it sucks that this that reboots are happening and these bootleg versions of our movies are happening. Man, this is bad. But also wants you to be like, yeah, but we're Disney and we can get away with all of this stuff. We're doing it right now. Isn't that funny? Isn't that tongue in cheek that we're doing it? I mean, they literally said that in. In the movie with the uh, with the uh, yeah. Ben's Warehouse reference, this is something I've talked about a lot. You know, I realize that and this is something I talked about a lot on this podcast, and this is something that's personal. How I like how my relationship with with like media like this is, I get the urge to do something that's meta commentary about something, but I feel like that's a really thin thing, like thin, thin needle to thread. If you are talking about how much something sucks and also doing it at the same time you have to nail it because if you don't nail that it doesn't work this doesn't nail it and to me that means the whole thing falls apart so that's the spoiler free version I think of my take on this movie if we don't want to get into the spoiler stuff we've done a pretty good job about not doing the overt spoilers for this is that, yeah, I think that you have to, it has to absolutely great, be great. And I think that Popstar is the perfect, like, parallel here. Popstar works because the thing that it's doing is already funny. It's already, like, the concept itself is already a joke, right? This is a concept that they're actually, that Disney, the company, actually has something that they need to, like, address with. This is something that they're actually passionate about. And so you can't have both. To me, you can't have both. And this movie desperately is trying to do both. It's trying to be, hey, isn't this all the cynical stuff? Doesn't all the cynical stuff suck? But also being extremely cynical while doing it. It's a story about Hollywood itself, at its core. About not just rebooting IPs, but rebooting careers. Actors who had their shine in the limelight like early on, and then aged out of roles. Is it? Yeah, it's also it about, about it's also about is cosmetic it? surgery. Is it though? Yes. Is it though? Yes. I feel like that was a, that's like a joke that they're that it was it, that is a joke that they, that was like a trailer bit 
that then for the purposes of the movie, they act that only really is a plot point because of the bootlegging stuff. No, that's part of it. That if your career is not working or is done in like America, go overseas and make films. I mean, but is that even true anymore? I don't even think it's that's how true. the business works anymore. It feels like they, this is, a lot of this is old shit that's being dusted off because they need plot points in this movie. I don't know. It's just, it's such a weird hybrid of things, and I don't think it knows what it wants to be. It's like, it's like the Lonely Island guys had an idea, and then Disney said, yeah, you can do it, but let's also put this extra layer of metaverse bullshit on top of it. If we're going to lean into these references, let's have as many as possible. And they got really greedy. And then the Lonely Island guys were like, yeah, I guess that could be funny. And they leaned into it. I don't blame them for doing that because that's what you do in 2022. It's just that me, as somebody who has to watch these movies, I wish that we didn't get so many of these damn things because now it's getting overwhelming. When, real brief, and this is the last point I'm going to make. I tweeted about this because this has been, like, this is stuck in my stuck in my craw about this movie existing. I think that the movie that they wanted to make could have been a really cool spiritual successor and answer to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is an absolute stone-cold classic. It's one of the best movies ever made. It is the peak of Robert Zemeckis' power after, in a, po- in a, in a post-Back um, to the Future world mm-hmm. before he threw it all away on Weird, creepy CG. On Polar Express. Which, yeah, I did appreciate that joke. I should note, I did actually find a lot of jokes in this movie really good. I think the, the joke writing is pretty quality. There's some stinkers in it, but mostly you're getting Lonely Island tier comedy here. I think the first 30 minutes are probably the best thing in this movie. After that, once the plot starts actually rolling, as soon as the cops get involved, it starts slowing down for me. But I think that first 30 minutes, you see a glimpse of if this movie was that funny throughout, maybe there'd be maybe I would have better things to say about it. So anyway, just to address that. Back to Roger Rabbit. The reason why Roger Rabbit worked was because Robert Zemeckis is a director who makes sure there's rules in his universes. That's why you love uh, Back, Back to the, the Future features. so much. It establishes the rules. Establishes the rules and sticks to them. This movie is a movie that does not care about rules at all. There's a lot of questions I had about the world that these cartoons live in. They seem to live in a world that parallel and parallel to the Roger Rabbit world, but a lot of those rules don't stand. There's not this weird class organization between the organi- like the, between the cartoons and the humans. That's not never addressed. No one cares. The movie does not care what you think about the world like how the world's relationship between t- cartoons and humans are. They don't care. And thus, I don't care. And if I don't care, that means what are the stakes for those relationships, right? There are none. So that's the thing, one rule one, that I think that if this is trying to be a modern Roger Rabbit, it fails. That's number one. You have to have rules, because otherwise, nothing matters. Two, that was a movie that was a genre film that the crossover stuff was put on top. This is also a genre film that the, that the crossover, but the difference is, is the crossover takes over the genre film, where the genre film is just, like I said, just a boring-ass like series of plot points that's overwhelmed with the crossover content. Roger Rabbit works because Roger Rabbit is a noir film first. De- 
it's DNA is Chinatown, not like not a cartoon. It is trying to be a noir film that just so happens to also have cartoon stuff in it. That's why when Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck are in the same, or Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse are in the same um, same scene together, it matters. It feels like it's a cool moment because it's not what the movie's trying to do first and foremost. It's the second thing. It's the icing on the cake. That's why it's a better movie. This is overwhelmed with 2022-ness. It feels like it's trying to do the cynical stuff first, and it's not a movie first. It doesn't feel like it's the story it's telling is as important as the jokes it's trying to execute and as the references it's trying to make. So to me, it feels more like Ready Player One or Wreck-It Ralph or Space Jam 2 or Space Jam 1. It feels like it forgot that making a good movie has to be your priority and then just got overwhelmed with, yeah, but wouldn't it be fun if? And followed the wouldn't it be fun if rabbit hole all the way down. That's how I feel about this movie. Missed opportunity. But you enjoyed the comedy. A lot of it, but not all of it is the thing. that Even that couldn't save it. Like, I think that if, you, if you're going to do this, it has to be funny enough where that overwhelms it. And so much of it was funny, but, like, it needs to be in a better movie if I'm going to care. And I didn't care. You didn't care what happened to the characters. Yeah. Therefore, you didn't care about what happened to the plot. Yeah. Because you didn't... That's a big part of it, certainly, because it's... Yeah, but that goes back to your first point being made that no one has nostalgia for the rescue rangers. Yeah, but that's that's and, and that's the that's that and that's why this is such a hard line to walk, right? Is because you could have made us care. A better movie would make us care about what happened to these characters and actually get us interested. I would be very fascinated to see who is the person who at the end of this movie actually clicks on, yes, I do want to watch the original series of rescue rangers right now because that's what disney plus prompted me to do and i was like absolutely not and i backed out i do wonder if anybody is encouraged at the end of this to actually care about those characters i don't think it was meant for that i think it was just meant as a vehicle for them to explore this metaverse this crossover world that we live in this what if all animation styles existed within the same universe. Could it work? Yeah. It's that test pilot. It is also interesting what they're saying about animation here. Yeah. It's like it, there's a lot of weird commentary that I'm not even sure the movie knows it's making about like different kinds of animation, different approaches and styles. Mm-hmm. And ha- First, real quick, uh, real quick, I should say, if we're going to have this conversation, we should talk about their approach to 2D here. They did not even try to make this make the 2D look hand hand drawn. It doesn't look like it at all. They try the hand drawn stuff is basically just cell shaded 3D. They really want you to turn off your brain for a hot second and think that that's hand drawn. But you're Disney. I don't think they do that. No, I think they do. I don't think it so. looks real bad to me. It doesn't look hand drawn. None it, of it looks hand drawn. It goes back to the the use of money for me, which is. Disney has all the money in the world. They are one of the richest companies on the planet. They spent the money on the references here instead of actually spending on the money where they should have on the animation. The CG stuff looks fine. 
sure, it looked like their staging stuff looks like right now. But I didn't believe for a second that that, that, that uh, chip looked like chip did 30 years ago. Not for a second. He looks like he came out of a video game. I cannot suspend my disbelief enough. They have the money to do it. They have the ability. They have the resources. So they're supposed to age the characters up. It's not supposed to look like it did in animation. It's just gross to me that Disney, of all the companies that could do this, Disney cannot pony up the money to get actual 2D animators to do 2D animation in a movie that needs 2D animation in it. The amount of actual, like, full-on 2D animation required. Yeah. They can do it. They have the power to do it. Why don't they do it? For the love of God, why didn't they do it? They have no excuse. They have the money. They have the time. Why didn't they do it? That's what I don't understand. I get it's not 1988 anymore. I get I get that Roger Rabbit is a product of its time, and it was it could only exist in because the time. Because you need to animation now. Do you though? If you're making something that references something that was originally 2D, several things that were originally 2D, I think you absolutely do do that. It would have, it would have gone a long way, I think, to make what they were trying to say matter more. To me, I just like it kind of ruins their point if I'm looking at a thing that is clearly CG that's supposed to be juxtaposed against actual CG. I'm like, no. To me, my eyes, my 32 year old eyes, I'm looking. Those are both CG. Because I know the difference. I'm old. I just don't... I don't know. I don't get... Everybody loves this thing, too. It's an amazing word of mouth. I just don't... This is the next thing in the list of things where I'm like, why don't... Uh, why didn't I get becoming it? old man. I don't know. The, the thing of you becoming old man yells at Cloud. Meanwhile, though, while Disney seems to baffle me with every movie they come out, their television stuff is stellar. Amphib- you're just talking about great amphibians. I don't get it. Why are those two... Why is the hand not talking to the mouth? Like, why are those two things so disparate? They're giving actually great creators the power and budget to make great shows with great stories with characters that actually matter on television. And they can't do the same thing with their, move- with their film animation. Why can they make something last year as poignant or this year, as poignant and great as Turning Red. That's Knock it out of the park. And this, so lackluster in comparison. How is this the same company? Different studios. I guess, but... You just think that the consistency would be there. They're just I'm just frustrated with Disney. The other part of this is, like, I just, I don't get it. They're all over the place now. All over the place. Yeah, but this is part of Disney that they have the different animation studios. They have Pixar, they have Disney Films Animation, Toon Animation. I realize that. I just wish that there was leadership up top saying that all these things need to be just as good. I like. I want somebody to say, like, somebody up top to be like, no, story matters. Like, we have stuff that's doing story really great, like Turning Red, like Owl House, like Amphibia, like, like, like Raya and the Last Dragon, like. Like they're stuck, like like Encanto. You're doing stories so well other places in our company. We need to be consistent with it. I don't care. It's a toss off thing on Disney Plus. It absolutely should matter. 
I'm also glad they didn't put this thing in theaters because I think that this this is a Disney Plus tier production for me. Uh, I don't know. That's how I feel about it. Well, I'm glad you liked it. I like it. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the things you like liked about it so that way it balance out my 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 negative points? So yes, there's a lot of meta stuff in here. A lot of meta commentary. A lot of stuff. A lot of jokes. A lot of References, not just to within Disney Code, but outside Disney Code. As you mentioned, the legal thing for this thing must be <laughs> room filled. I can't imagine what Disney would have given up, too. There is a, like, what Wolf, with DreamWorks especially. There is a prominent character that is very pivotal to the plot that is not even a character from a movie. It is a character that almost was in a movie. Yes. That's not even a character. I do not understand how they, are, like how they managed to get that and why it matters so much. And I can't imagine how much they had to pitch to Disney to do that. Because I don't, I can't, I don't know how it happened. And yet it's there. And yet it's there. Too much. So, that kind of leads us to one of my criticisms, is how much information do you need outside of the movie world and into our real world to understand a lot of the inside jokes in here. I wonder how much of that specific joke works if you're like, not tuned in. Right. You're right. I didn't think about that. Um, one of my criticisms, though, is there's is more goes to with like how this is going to be resolved. Much of the same way, like with uh, I had more criticism with uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Of uh, uh, if there are infinite universes out there, couldn't want to just find one where her kids are, are alive and she isn't. <laughs> same thing here. <laughs> If this is a universe where you can use erasers on characters to fix things, yeah. could you do the same thing Again, with other characters? There's something telling you. There's no rules. Right. It hints at rules. It gestures that there are rules. There's even in that scene with the minor spoiler. In that scene with the, the eraser reveal, there's also revealed next to it is the literal dip from Roger Rabbit. Yes. If that exists in this universe, that should be a big deal. Yes. Why does this guy have it? That's a huge deal. <laughs> but they, the movie doesn't care because it's a joke to the movie. The movie's like, it's a reference to the move movie. On. It's a background reference. It's not yeah. part of the plot. Oh, but you can't, can't do that. You can't do that to something that was that that was so important in Roger Rabbit that it was literally life or death for the characters. No, but that's also part of what the movie is. It's about actors who age out, who go to these conventions, who want the reboot, who want to be back in the limelight. Who don't want to fade up to obscurity? Just take that stuff. Just be like, oh yeah, that's something I did thirty years ago. That's not me now. It's it's part of that of wanting to remain relevant, wanting to get the band back together. Yeah, for me though, that the the emotional stakes for that were never high enough for me to actually be like, man, I hope they win. I didn't care as much. Well, and- it wasn't about getting the show back. It was about being with your friends, being with that TV family that you had for years. And wanting to reunite. That's how they, they worked that angle I in, guess. of getting the band back I together. Guess, but when they finally get to that part, that part in like late in Act 2 where they're finally like, oh, we got everybody back. It's too late, it almost feels. It's like, wait a minute, why weren't these characters in this movie earlier? Why, di- why didn't uh, somebody, somebody, um, on, uh, like, uh, somebody who uh, was talking about this movie on the internet brought this up and I thought it was a good point. It's like the, it's the Captain America, or not Captain America, uh, sorry, 
Captain Marvel thing in Endgame almost to a point where it's like this character who probably could have helped them earlier in the movie doesn't show up until Act Three and doesn't do anything. You mean it's the Superman issue? It is. It's very. It's, it's waiting for a Superman weird. issue. It's like if so. If you're ca- trying to get your story about like oh our team family and we want to be reunited, you gotta start that ball rolling earlier because they didn't. They waited forever. For they that. did. That's what the whole Dale's arc was of trying to get the TV family. But again, like the emotional stakes were never high enough. All we got was like oh they were friends as kids and they did this movie together. That's it. That's literally it. They want us to... That's our basis for us to care. And I don't think that's enough to still care. They try so badly towards the end to be like, oh, well, Chip's mom told him to do this. Minor spoiler. Uh, to do this. Told him this. Had to, like, pep, pep, pep talk. But that takes, like, a minute. That's, like, a minute-long scene. And it didn't help me. It didn't make me feel any different about those characters. I was already like, okay, whatever. Like, it's just really it's missing that sauce it's missing that story sauce that I think it needed that makes stuff like Encanto and Turning Red work it doesn't have it it's completely devoid of it and so when it's asking me to care I can't care I don't care but it's yeah it's so drowning in the pop culture stuff that you don't care it's gasping for breath and it needs to be a movie. It, it needs to be a good movie first. It's the same reason why I don't like Shrek. The Shrek <gasps> movies also don't work. What? I know millenn- my millennial card is being oh, no. right now. I realize that, but I never liked Shrek because it has the same problem. It's not a good movie first. It needs to be a good movie first for the other stuff to work. This is not a good movie first. It needs to focus. You. That's why the Pixar motto is: you need to have a story. The story matters above all else. That's why Pixar movies are good. The story first, then you get all of your cynical wink wink nudge nudge stuff. But the story is the core. And this does not have a good story at its core. It's a mystery story. Is it a good one? No. Even the misdirect I saw coming a mile away. You mean the non-misdirect? That becomes a misdirect? I don't know. It's weird because it's like it's the most boilerplate thing they could have possibly done. And they comment on it. Just be... I've said it a billion times on this podcast. Just because you comment on the thing that you're doing does not make it good. They it's say they know what pass. they're doing. If they know what they're doing. It's not a free pass if you know what you're doing. It still has to be good. It still has... Stuff is good when it surprises. Surprise me. Make me surprised. Comedy is also best when it's surprising. If you're commenting on the thing you're doing, it's no longer surprising. That works sometimes, but it's a very small, thin, tightrope. And I don't think they walked it. All right, get your old man comments out of here. It just makes me mad. I wanted this to be good, and it wasn't. It is good. You're just being old man about it. (laughs) I'm being old man about it. You're being old man about it. It needs to be a better movie. It needs to be a better movie. Anyways, that's... That's Chippendale Rescue Ranger. Yeah, we talked half hour on that. It's on Disney Plus. How's <laughs> that 15 for 15 yeah. minutes? It's on Disney Plus now if you want, if you need this in your life. I, I'm glad it's on Disney Plus because, yeah, I would not have wanted to spend $20 yeah. on a ticket for this. But yeah, it's that's a Disney Plus thing. There. Sure. Also, maybe not great for kids. It's, it's PG, but it's got some moments in there that are actually kind of scary. Just like Roger Rabbit. 
which is the one thing it does nail, is it does the finale. There's things in season three that or season three in act three, <laughs> in act three that did actually genuinely surprise me. I was like, oh, they're going really far with this fight scene. And to me, I was like, okay, that's kind of cool because it does remind me of that '80s vibe, which is like they were more willing to in this kids movie do more stuff. Mm-hmm. That I appreciated. I'm glad that they got Disney to do it, to do it. But again, I just didn't care, and so it didn't work in the same way that maybe it works for other people. But it was that was close. That part of it was close. Honestly, it's available on Disney Plus. If you have kids that are interested in this premise, just watch Roger Rabbit. That's my advice. Just watch Roger Rabbit. They don't know who those characters are, but you know what? They'll appreciate it more than you do. Anyways, that'll do it for us here at the Media Vote Podcast. <laughs> yes, that'll do it. We're done. <laughs> no, we'll be back. All right, we'll be back next week. Next well, week. one of us will. Yeah, I, so I may or may not be probably back. Probably solo show next week, so we'll have all sorts of new news yeah. next time. In the meantime, thank you for joining us. That'll do it for this week. Uh, if you want to watch us in video form, we're on YouTube, our YouTube channel. You can search Media Vote Podcast and find us. We'll do live shows in the future again there. You can click on the bell for notifications when we do go live. You can also see archived video versions of our previous podcasts there as well. You can also find us in audio form on podcast services such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts, just search Media Vote Podcast and you'll find us there. You can also find us on social media accounts like Twitter, where our handle is at MediaVoteCast. You can find us on Facebook by searching Media Vote Podcast as well. And you can finally email us if you have questions, comments, you want to tell me how wrong I am about uh, Chip and Dale, please do. You can email us at mediavotepodcast at gmail.com and uh, yeah, we'll read your uh, question or comment on the show if you do. So, do so. We'd love to hear some feedback. Thank you for joining us. We will be back next week. Like I said, probably in solo form. You will be gone. Yep. We'll be back. I'll be on the other side of the country. In two weeks for another proper live show. In the meantime, thanks for joining us. Have a good week. Watch Roger Rabbit. Yep, be back with more thoughts, more streams of content, more news. All right. Bye. Bye.